and welcome to the pod and the pendulum the horror movie podcast covering all the franchises one movie and one episode at a time as always i'm your host mike snoonian and we have like another massive panel today like back to back i think tying like the largest crew we've ever brought on for one show sans like the uh script readings we do we have like a ridiculous amount of people on for that Joining us again, our resident saw and torture porn expert. She is a senior contributor at Ghouls Magazine and a future editor, dare I say. <laughs> Welcome, Ariel Power Shab. Ariel, how are we? Doing great. Super excited to talk about this one. I, I love this movie, so happy to be I, here. I hope I don't kill your vibe. I will you can, it's great. not possible to. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, great. Love to hear that. Um, <laughs> Joining us once again, she is one of the co-hosts over at Halloweenies, as well as the co-host over at uh, Girls on the Boys, a senior contributor to Dread Central, Bloody Disgusting, and many other places. Rachel Reeves, how are we? Oh my gosh, I'm so good. Excited to finally jump on one of these eps and talk about all things Saw. (laughs) And this is the first one you're jumping in on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the first one I've been able to make happen and... I'm quite excited because, yeah, this franchise is right and a half, and I love every minute of it. <laughs> Fantastic. Back again after joining us last week. She is the host of the Bodies of Horror podcast over on the Anatomy of a Scream podcast network. Nicole Goble, Nicole, how are we feeling this morning? Feeling great. Happy to be here. I am super happy to have you back again, as always. And we have a special guest with us today. Uh, She is jumping onto our show for the first time. She is the host of the uh, Who's There, a podcast about horror fans. Let's welcome Allison to the show. Allison, how are we? Hello. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to have you on. Absolutely love having you on. And hopefully this will be a fun movie for you to jump in on here. I got a little bit of housekeeping before we talk about the movie itself. Because... We do cover all the franchises, and there's a movie that just came out that is part of a franchise we've already covered. So I have to ask, The Nun Part 2, are we waiting until there's like another entry in The Conjuring movies? Because there will be, because these movies print money. Or are we going to just do like The Nun 2 as a one-off once we wrap up Saw? Like, How do people feel? Oh gosh, the Nun franchise. I kind of hope we don't get in. I haven't even seen this one, but so speaking from a completely ignorant view, but I'm not necessarily sure we're going to be covering the Nun franchise. We definitely so. will. We definitely will because we will. Covered, yeah, so confident. Because, because well, because Lindsay and I covered all of the Conjuring verse movies mm-hmm. back in 2019 or 2020. 
Um, so we're treating the conjuring as like a, a huge connected series all of right, movies. All right. So we definitely have covered the nun. But to your so point, we have to do the nun too. But can we wait until there's another like Conjuring verse movie before we? Yeah, like it's please. your show. <laughs> we're all part of it, but we're all like, if somebody like, if 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 Chewy were to like say, the Nun Two was my favorite horror movie of the year, and I can't wait to talk about it. I would say first you need to have your head examined, <laughs> but then I would also say like, okay, great. Let's do this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do it. But we're all here right now saying we can wait a little bit. We can wait a little bit. Okay. We don't yeah. need to get back in the habit just yet. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And now I want to cover sister act. Yeah. Maybe we can like tie it. In. Let's do like a nun horror episode. We can like tie it into that. We can talk a little bit about the nun too. Then we can just talk about nunsploitation horror. Come on. Okay. Fun. <laughs> we could definitely do that. Let's make that happen. Because right. here's the deal. I am like director Michael Chavez. I'm sure he's a super nice guy. Like nothing personal against him. I bet if you called him at five in the morning and said, <laughs> I need to get to the airport for 6 a.m., He'd say, I got you, fam. Show yeah. up on your doorstep with like a latte and a donut and bring you there and carry your luggage. <laughs> My goodness. So n- nothing personal. But the fact that he's directed three movies in what might be the most, it's the most profitable like horror franchise, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That should be investigated as a war crime because... <laughs> Wow. It's not that serious. He's so aggressively mediocre. Like there's just like his movies are so forgettable that for him to be that successful, just it's just something doesn't sit right with me. There's got to be something's hinky. There's something I don't know what it is, but like something illegal is going on there. It's just how I feel. Illegal or supernatural? Illegal. I'm thinking (laughs) we could do like a side spinoff podcast, true crime style where we investigate that. We should definitely do that. We should. I will add that to the pile of shows I'm doing. We can do that. (laughs) Definitely. Well, it made me think like we're coming up on October, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the most wonderful time of year. This has been a really disappointing year in horror. Like I'm looking at my top 10. Outside of the top three, nothing would have made my list next year or last year. And I don't know, like, I'm just like, maybe October will be great, but I'm looking at like the Exorcist legacy and I'm like, this looks like a giant wet fart. Um, (laughs) Five Nights at Freddy's is probably going to be fun, but it's Five Nights at Freddy's. I mean, am I wrong in my, even Thanksgiving? Like watching that trailer again, I'm like, it looks just like all the grindhousey things have been kind of removed from it. Am I'm I wrong? super stoked for Thanksgiving, okay. but you you might be right about that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm still so behind on horror this year. Like I haven't seen Cobweb. I haven't seen Talk to Me. I haven't seen Boogeyman. It lives inside. Um, so I just I'm not sure yet. Okay. I. I don't know. Yes and no. Like I, I really enjoyed Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, me that too. Was super fun and had a lot of great things. I even like Last Voyage of the Demeter. Um, so I think that there is some good stuff. I've also seen some really great like festival films. Yeah. Um. So I, I know that that's kind of like 
well, those aren't all out all yet, but there are yeah. some good, some good smaller films. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's hard following up films like Barbarian and things, no. you know? So yeah. I think it's a different vibe. It does feel a little bit more chaotic, I think, than last year, which I think the vibe was more fun and just kind of a little bit outlandish, which was great. Um, I also think that they're holding on to some stuff in a weird way because of the strikes. So I think this year's been a little off and next year's going to be even a little more off is yeah. my prediction. Yeah. And I just feel too, like the Taylor Swift movie is dropping in the middle of October and it's going to, I mean, it's going to be a massive hit and love folks for that. Um, Taylor Swift fans yeah. terrify me because like they're, they're passionate in a way that's very Jim Jonesian. Like there's something very Jonestownian about. No, it. no, that's not fair. You can't like, I'm sorry. It's mo- I know it's not only women and it's not only girls, no, but it's not. I know it's, it's a lot of it. So oh. I know it's a lot of men too. I, I didn't say did I? Did I? No, no. I just, it seems like a lot of people get on Taylor Swift and I can't help but think that it's like, oh, no. (laughs) I got you. No shade against Taylor Swift was immensely talented. And we're Mm -hmm. seeing something that, like, we really haven't seen since, like, Michael Jackson in terms of, like, a massive pop star. It's something that you didn't think we'd see again because, like, the culture is so fragmented. But there's like a segment of her fan base that is like super scary. I'm sorry. Mm. Nothing against her. Um, I do know that like if I go to see Killers of the Flower Moon and it's playing next to like the Taylor Swift concert movie and everybody is singing and screaming and yelling during that while I'm trying to watch Marty do his thing, um, I may lose my mind. Like that might be the moment like when I cannot hear that movie because of Swifties, mm-hmm. I might absolutely at that point just like go feral and lose my mind. They need to Possible. just have a section of the theater reserved for that and then put the other movies yeah. on the other side of the lobby. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a massive hit. It's probably going to be like a top five or top 10 grossing movie for the year. Like I would wager it makes more than like Barbie and not Barbie, but like Indiana Jones or mission impossible, which who would have thunk that. So that was just my mindset heading into this recording. I have already sidetracked us by 10 minutes (laughs) and Allison is regretting saying I'll sign up for the guests on this show. So no, no, I just I've never I I don't really know anything about Taylor Swift. I've never listened to any of her music. I've heard songs, of course, like I know of her. But like, yeah, that's just not my thing. And I would I it's hard. Like, why don't call it a movie? It's not a movie. It's a recording Mm. of a concert. It's a concert (laughs) movie. It's the things I get still like super nerdy and passionate about are smaller, but I don't get any less nerdy or passionate. So I don't mean to. I guess maybe the thing with the Swifties is there's just so many of them. <laughs> they are legion is basically what I'm saying. So I do find it weird when 40 year old dudes absolutely lose their mind in a way like, okay, that is calm down. Like this is for your kids. Like calm down. Yeah. So, I follow a travel blogger on Instagram who he was at one of her concerts in like the second row. Yeah. And I was like, 
Okay, cool. And some of that, it, it feels performative. It feels like I'm going to show myself losing my mind here. Like everything we do now is content. Like nobody just kind of goes about their day, lives their life and enjoys it. Like everything is grist for the content, the mm-hmm. content yeah. mill. And it's, I don't know. People Get take the video. Here. People take the video of like the performer and then they take a video of themselves enjoying yeah. it. Like, I don't need to see you yeah. at the. Like the young lady dancing, eating waffles. Like, do you just eat your waffles? Just, just eat your waffles. I don't need to see your dance. You're not this excited. Like this is total performance art right now. And listeners, you are hearing me age myself in real time. <laughs> listeners, on... my with our content. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us. Tell us what you think of content on our content and make sure you tell your friends about our content. (laughs) So let's talk software. (laughs) Speaking of content, let's talk software. (laughs) Allison, as our guest, and we haven't had a chance to talk yet, what is your overall impression of the Saw franchise as it is right now? Okay, so truthfully, I have only seen Saw two, three, four, and Spiral, I have a ways to go with watching the rest of the movies before Saw X, which I lovingly call Socks, comes out. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm enjoying watching them. I watched Saw 4 to prep for this when we were supposed to record two weeks ago. Uh, So I watched this movie like maybe two, three weeks ago. I was like, what happened in it? I couldn't remember. These movies are completely indistinguishable for me. But I do enjoy them. I cover my eyes for most of the gore. But I enjoy how the stories are so interwoven. Um, I did watch a couple of like recap videos on YouTube this morning and listen to another podcast talk about it. So I do remember it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's how that that's how that opened. Um, so I enjoyed watching it. But like all these movies are, are kind of just the same thing for me but i don't mean that in a necessarily bad way but it's Mm -hmm. just hard for me to recall anything like on the fly to be like oh yeah that's from part three um and i i hot take i i I think spiral is kind of just like the rest of the saw movies they're all just cops trying to figure out what's going on who's doing it who did it and sometimes getting getting caught in the crossfire so so what you're saying is if we wanted to mess with you, we could like say things from Saw 2 happened and you'd be like, yeah, I remember that. But we wouldn't do that to our the, guests. The only thing that I remember about Saw 2 specifically is the needle pit. And that is because I had heard so many other mm-hmm. people talk about it before I saw it. So I was like, that's definitely in Saw 2. Okay. So yeah. So but otherwise, the, so go for the, it. Not the Oscar caliber performance of one Donnie Wahlberg from that, which is. No, I didn't even realize it was him. I didn't yeah. look up the cast. I was like, he, his face looks familiar, but he yeah. could just be another white actor. Yeah, he's know. the worst. Basically, he's the devil is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so it, it's interesting because you're like, hey, I cover my eyes for most of it. Like the gore kind of blends in. What would you say like in particular, like your taste in horror? Like what does it lean towards typically? Um. I think I like the psychological the mm-hmm. most. I like a really good story, which is why I'm enjoying watching these movies mm-hmm. because they're kind of all interwoven. Um, but yeah, like I like a good movie where you're trying to figure out what's going on. My favorite movie of all time, my favorite horror movie is The Ring. And I love going on that journey with Naomi Watts to figure out like where this tape is from and what happened and who is Samara and how do I, you know, keep my son from dying. Mm-hmm. So 
that's that's where I lean. And I also really like um, found footage. Excellent. And found footage. Making a note for future episodes because we have awesome. some found footage <laughs> stuff coming up. Rachel, this is your first time on to talk a Saw movie. Yes. So and I this is like one of your franchises. This is one you love. Like this is one you champion. What well, do you love about the series as a whole? <laughs> um, I'm a champion. Am I a champion? I just, I just think it's fun. Like, so I saw the first Saw in the theater and I just like that is still to date like one of my like favorite theater experiences, I think. Because I just I went with a group of friends, didn't know anything about it, obviously, and was just blown away and was just obsessed with it from, you know, from day one. And that was just such a a pivotal horror movie moment in my life that, of course, I'm going to pay attention to everything that comes after that. And I just I just appreciate the absolute ridiculousness of this franchise and the commitment to certain things and how they're continuously like one upping each other and retreading things, storylines and making them more complicated and weaving them into past ones. Like I mm-hmm. just, to me, it's just really fun. I do have a, a similar problem. Like what Allison said, sometimes things get really blurry. Yeah. <laughs> Probably just because there's so many of these goddamn movies. <laughs> these things. So like sometimes it's like, wait, was that, especially when you start getting like from, from here on out, sometimes I get real kind of confused. Like, yep. wait, that, which one was that in? I don't know. Um, and it's not I, like a Halloween where, okay, this is the one with the cult. This is the yeah. one with the masks, right? Yeah. So that, but the, I also like that doesn't really necessarily bother me because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm coming at these from just a place of an open heart and I'm just going to take whatever comes my way and I'm not going to be super critical of a Saw movie. So yeah. it has that in its favor, I think. You mentioned Barbarian earlier and like the fun that that movie is. And I know it's like it's a much different style of movie, but like is Saw like Barbarian before Barbarian and that it just embraces the chaos just like we're just going to give you a bunch of weird stuff story-wise and you're going to go along for this ride. Just roll with it. A little bit, I think, especially when you're comparing it to so many of the other kind of iconic franchises that I think sometimes get weighted down by its own like mythos and stuff. To me, it seems like Saw is just like, yeah, let's just go for it. Like It has a kind of a different approach to that mythos and it's not burdened by it. Um I think partially because they were coming out kind of pretty quick. Like there wasn't oh, yeah. a whole lot of time in between them. So it didn't have a chance to really grow that kind of cultural burden, I guess. Um, yeah. I forgot where I was, was going. There, <laughs> no problem. Was there, as we trail off, was there anything with Saw 4 where you're like, what that really stood out? Like any initial <laughs> memories from it, seeing in the theater? This is the first one that I got confused okay (laughs) a little bit and was kind of like having a little bit of a hard time following and predicting where it was going and like okay wait so I I had to I had to think about it a little bit more Mm -hmm. in terms of what was happening which isn't necessarily a bad thing just compared to the first three I feel like this is one that it was like okay we're getting into this franchise a little bit things are starting to get a little you know that all those knots are starting to get a little bit more tangled, which got it. Yeah, well, I'm got sure it. we'll talk about. And Nicole, 
this is like right in the middle of your favorite stretch of Saw films, if I remember. Like this is one of your comfort series, but like that, this middle section, if I recall, is like where you start to really enjoy the series, right? Yeah, I mean, I like all of them. I think they, I, I do agree with what Allison and Rachel said that they do, that this is a franchise that can feel a little bit homogenous in its texture and that you it, it can be hard to instantly think of what sets a film apart or I think that's why you know the traps are such bread and butter for it because that's what you always come back to you know saw two has the needle pit on um, and uh, Saw 3 has pig pool. Um, so I, I understand that. But I think that f- I do like it just because it does kind of embrace um, a kind of a zaniness to it of we're going to go all over the place. Um, we're really going to just uh, try to make each twist and turn as unexpected as possible. Because I think, especially with the first three, even though there's... I think the first three are probably the easiest to set apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that um, with the ongoing sequels up until you get to um, Jigsaw, I think that it just really wants to try to keep you on your toes a little bit because it does yeah. get a very formulaic in, in bits. But I, I like it. I really like 4. Um, I think it's a good way to kind of start off this run of sequels. Excellent. And Ari, I know you are all aboard the soft train, like toot toot. Toot toot. You're on board. <laughs> and you're like, this I'm is I'm the where conductor. <laughs> I, <laughs> excellent. Uh, you have a note here about how you're going to, what how you're going to become each episode. Yeah. So tell me about your first experience with Saw 4 and what it did for you. Yes. So... Um, I, after the third one came out in theaters, I didn't see any more in theaters until Spiral. So I saw Saw 4 years later when I bought like the set and I was just doing a watch through of all of them. And like, I wanted to jump up and exclaim at the end because I enjoyed it so much. And, you know, two, I don't really like that much. I still love it because it's Saw, but it's not my favorite. And three, I like a lot of things about, but it, you know, it's not quite my, my top half. And four is, four is my, like, the next one that I really loved a lot since the first one. Um, And, you know, Allison, I want to warn you going into the sequels that you haven't watched yet. They do not get less uh, confusing. They do not become more clear. <laughs> they will become even less distinguishable from one another because as was 
sort of introduced in two with the idea of Jigsaw's taping something and showing it to us later, and then is solidified in four when we find out it's taking place at the same time as three, the Saw franchise likes to play with time. And so going forward, there's going to be more of that and it's going to be more confusing. And this is just like a soft warning, a, a heads up to the listeners that I've been pretty contained on the episode so far. I've like acted pretty normal, I think, um, you know, COVID notwithstanding. And this is where I'll become slightly more unhinged with each episode as there's like more ridiculousness to explain and dive into. Like you will see me become Charlie from it's always sunny with his Pepe Sylvia string board. Like just, I want everybody to know that that's coming. I love that for you. And I am here for that. I am so happy that this is going to happen. Oh, good. I want to see unhinged Ari. Ari unleashed is what I (laughs) want it's what the listeners so it's what the listeners demand so I, we'll find out if that's true i think you just blew my mind a little bit because i had always assumed that like from day one like mm-hmm. you were like if it's october it's saw and yeah you know to hear that you're like yep the, after part three like i didn't go to the theaters again mm-hmm. until uh spiral because like i had tapped out after two until jigsaw so it's clear like you learned like this franchise became like one that you really loved like really after the fact it did yeah very much so um i really fell in love with it during the pandemic is Mm -hmm. when i got really 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 super into it yeah um and i didn't stop watching them for any like real reason i just sort of like I was in college. I was really busy. None of my real life friends wanted to go see the Saw movies with me. And then it just kind of fell away for a while. Um, So it's okay. You can come to this franchise later and be a crazed fan just like me. I I think that rates like when we talk about like the background of this movie, like where horror was at at the time. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be like a clear thing that kind of came up around this time, if not for the Saw movies, then for kind of the ones that followed it. Like it just became like, yeah, I don't want to go to the theaters for this. Mm-hmm. But for me, like this was a first time watch over the summer as we were planning our episodes. Like after we recorded our first Saw episode, I went ahead and binged all of the, all nine films over the course of like a day and a half. So they do start to blend in after a bit. Um, what's nice about it is it does tell one kind of long story over time and they even make it a point to bring back a lot of the cast even in very small roles and we'll talk about that in a little bit Um, I think what really stood out to me here was the problem with ending like your first movie and it's like the M. Night Shyamalan problem when your first movie is so well known for the twist at the end of it, audiences come to expect that in everything that follows. And it's really hard, if not impossible, to top that initial thrill that comes with a great twist ending that recontextualizes a whole movie and really boosts it uh, and makes it so memorable. And the, they'd kind of painted themselves in a corner in that like every saw movie, those last three minutes, like Zed's theme hits and everything is revealed and you 
are left with like a twist at the end of it. And it's hard to kind of replicate that every single time. And I think you see that here. Um, I think I am, you know, this is somewhere in the middle for me in terms of the franchise part of like, it's not just the, there's like a very big formula to saw. And like we we've said, like they do start to blend in a little bit, but all of the men in this movie look the same to me. They all look like they're, they look very similar to begin with. It's hard to distinguish like Hoffman from Strom to a certain extent. They're kind of like Bert and Ernie. They kind of look like they've been carved out of a block of cheese and then thrown in like an off the rack suit. And there are times where I'm like, I don't know who is who here. And that's kind of a problem for the next two movies. Um, I have some thoughts on Donnie Wahlberg. We'll get to those momentarily. I so know this. You hmm. must not have watched Gilmore Girls then. No, never That's watched That's what I was saying. I was like, because if, if you know Luke Danes, uh-huh. you're not going to get confused. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> because I was a, I'm a Buffy fan. Like, uh-huh. I am in the middle of just started season five Buffy for the 300th time. Nice. Uh, it's my favorite show ever. Our daughter's watching it with us. She watched it with us when she was really, really young. She doesn't remember it. And when Angel turned evil, I'm like, that's what happens when boys and girls kiss, just so you know. And then, <laughs> also, um, Sex in the City. Like, you've got Friar Fuck mm, and Luke Danes. Like, have so never I watched think, a minute. Oh, <laughs> that's what I know him from. Yes. I kept seeing his face, and I was like, I know him from something. But I, so, okay. I have a feeling there's a lot of women okay. around our age that have no problem distinguishing them. <laughs> But I do hear a lot of men say I can't tell them apart, and so I think that I get must it. be yes. it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even even Tobin Bell in this movie kind of looks like he's kind of schlubby in this. Like he's like wearing, he's like got five o'clock shadow. He just looks really worn out. Like he looks well, he's like Danny Glover, night. but not. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Good point. Touche. <laughs> Touche. Good point, Sorry. Ari. Apparently, um, they spent two weeks making that corpse, and it cost them a ton. Yeah. Oh, jeez. That's yeah. where the budget went. <laughs> yeah. Um, Looked gross. It did look grotesque. Um, Gnarly. I know it's a new trilogy. I do like that Bousman comes back one last time until Spiral, because I do think that one of the things he brought to the table was he replicated the aesthetic of the first movie and kept it consistent throughout the three following pictures so you do have one nice look that distinguishes it like when we get to the next entry the first like the first shot on screen i'm like oh somebody else directed this like you can immediately tell it's somebody else um i'm by, not sh- by aesthetic do you mean dirty yeah dirty, okay, dirty and green wet. yeah blue uh no sunlight whatsoever if you I, touched it it would be gritty yeah yeah. yeah. Um, I always want to know what like city these take place in because just every setting they go to is yeah. just disgusting and dirty and just like your nightmare. And you're a travel blogger, right? Uh, I mean, I used to be. Okay. Not really anymore, but. Should have thought of this sooner because I'm going to throw you on the spot. But if you were writing a travel blog for Saw City. <laughs> I would say, please don't leave the airport. Okay. <laughs> why would you ever go to saw city like oh, maybe you i don't know get syphilis i don't know just something <sighs> maybe just, oh, jigsaw's apprentice maybe 
Yeah. No, no, no. I would I would not. What is there to do in Saw City? Like meet some shitty cops? Murder. You can't do that in any city. That's Um, true. But there's just like a higher concentration of them mm -hmm. in the Saw movies. So I will say there is an abundance of abandoned warehouse space and you can buy really cheap. Yeah. So set up your craft brewing. You know, absolutely. I don't know. So there are some reasons to go. (laughs) I I don't know if like four, five and six have enough for like a strong trilogy. But I do think this is a nice bridge between the first three entries and the next three entries after it. Like it does work as that. So, okay. Ari. Yeah. We ready to talk about how this movie came together? Oh, we have to. So. Like we mentioned, it was again directed by DLB. And at the same time, he was prepping for his next film, Repo, the Genetic Opera, which came out in 2008 while he was shooting um, Saw 4. And I also happen to love Repo, the Genetic Opera. Um, Mike, I think you put a note here that he was initially uninterested in returning and he felt like he'd had his fill of the series um, he also seemed to read the tea leaves a little bit in terms of audiences tiring of the subgenre, but he returned after reading the script and he felt like it could serve as a bridge between the two halves of the series. So let's talk a little bit about what was the state of horror by fall 2007. Juan and 1L had Dead Silence come out, which I also love, which is not a surprise to anybody, but it was a commercial and critical disappointment. People did not love it. I think it's getting a reappraisal now, yeah. which is good. Um, it's fun. It's so it's fun. Fun, spooky, kind of like it's a demo tape for Insidious, yep. which is a demo for The Conjuring. Yep. Um, is it Ryan Kwan? Is that the actor's name? He's the dude from uh, True Blood? Ryan Katwain. Katwain. I think it, who yeah. He's always fun to look at. I mean, no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah. Um, Great reveal at the end of it with the dude she made. Don't into a I've never, puppet. I've never seen it. So okay. <laughs> don't ruin it. <laughs> if you like paranormal horror, you will really enjoy. I'm silence. looking forward to watching it because I watch like new horror movies that I've been putting off every mm-hmm. October. So that's on my list for. Definitely <gasps> add that to your list. Yeah. I think it would be a really, especially for Halloween season really really fun i think it's a new 4k too right yes uh scream factory did a really beautiful uh slip cover and a poster so well and i think that um it's an inter- i mean because it's one and Winnell, i think it's kind of an interesting representation of saw mm-hmm. um but also where they would go in other directions with their films down the line. So yeah, I, I'm glad that people are talking about dead silence one because I think it, it is a lot of fun. Is it masterclass? Yes. Probably. (laughs) I, I would say, I don't know about that, but I really, 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 like it i think it's it's a lot more fun than i think people gave it credit for and i saw it in the theater and thought it was magnificent double billet with malignant and just have 
fun. That's my advice. So Grindhouse also came out at this time, um, Planet Terror and Death Proof, which is a lot of fun, but it stumbled at the box office. Um, Michael Haneke, is that how you say it? Is it Haneke? I think so. Yeah. He remade Funny Games, which was originally in German, and he, you know, did an English remake of it pretty much shot for shot. Um, you know, as... Uh, it could be a direct rebuke t- to torture porn. And when he originally made Funny Games in was it 97, yep. I think, um, he was really wanting to explore and have viewers explore, like, what, what do you look for when you watch violence on screen? And so Funny Games is a really great way to sort of revisit that in the torture porn era. I've not seen the remake of funny games but i have heard it's pretty much the same it's pretty much shot for shot yeah yeah with michael penn i'm sorry michael pitt who would go on to do um mason virgil in the hannibal series who was a dawson alumni did he ever do gilmore girls like michael pitt seems like the kind of guy that would have been on gilmore girls for a short stint as like the bad boyfriend for a little bit (laughs) i know he did that what's ventimiglia Milo Ventimiglia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was that on, I remember Michael Pitt doing like Springsteen covers on acoustic guitar in Dawson's Creek. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> okay. I need to, need to tap out on this show now. I'm done. <laughs> um, yeah. Like the, it, it's Naomi Watts and Tim Roth mm-hmm. and it's a hard watch. Like funny games. Either of them is a hard watch, not because it's especially, graphic but because like it's brutal and it's inevitable like there's no Mm -hmm. sense of hope and haneke is definitely pointing a finger at the audience and asking like what is it about these movies that turns you on that makes you gravitate towards them and i'm not sure it's in a critical way so much as like he's asking the audience to reflect (laughs) and sometimes you don't like those answers like when it comes down to Yeah, I don't feel like Funny Games is passing judgment on the viewer. I think it's really just asking us to interrogate ourselves. Yeah, and I think especially considering that you were starting to get the boom of much more graphic and intense horror kind of in the mainstream, I think that that was kind of a really great film to come along and and make you like think about your relationship with with that kind of violence Mm -hmm. and why we were paying over ducats to go and sit and watch body parts uh get splayed on the screen so yeah i this is such an interesting time i feel like it's a big transitional time Mm -hmm. yes um yeah we get well, because yeah, we get paranormal activity, right? It feels like it, like it's all over the place in some ways, and we get yeah. Hall- you know, Rob Zombie, like the Halloween, and then we, mm-hmm. you know, we're continuing the remake train with a lot of things, yeah. but then also some really interesting things like Trick or Treat and you know, Wreck, and it's just like such a weird, there's a little bit of everything, and yeah. it's like the start of some things that we're gonna see just kind of explode, and I think that that's just really fascinating because it's like what's gonna take? I don't know. We're gonna see. Yeah. Um, and it's still yet to be decided, I think. 
we get a lot of movies that we love now that we didn't necessarily either get to see or did see in 20, 2007. Because you mentioned Trick or Treat, and that was one that it played festivals and everyone raved about it. It was supposed to have a uh, wide release. And then mm-hmm. Warner Brothers said, let's put this on the shelf and not release it for a few years for who knows why. Um, I remember seeing the mist in theaters and walking out being, well, that was bleak. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That was a fun time at the movies. But now I would say like, we love that movie. Like that is brilliant. That's getting a really nice re-release too Mm -hmm. soon. Oh, I hope it comes with like the black and white. Mm, I don't know. That's the best way to watch that. Just Um, making it even more depressing. Yep. It gives it that like 1950s kind of like monster movie feel. Yeah, I was um, going to say it Asian. feels much yeah. It feels yeah. much more like that. But they do keep like shooting your kid in the head in order to put him out of so like that that's you know. I mean, I guess depending on how you feel about kids, it's either like the bleakest movie ever or like child-free existence rules. A I brave, don't know. Brave choice. I know. So <laughs> You know, erase the whiteboard Zero days on Pod the Pendulum since we talk about kids dying. It's true. This is the year of fuck them kids. There's a lot yeah. of kids dying in horror movies recently. So here for it. Yeah. If Paddington <laughs> three Paddington three Paddington's should have, revenge. Should have some like child evisceration. It's all I'm saying. Like, you know, because like in Superman three, Superman turns bad for a while. Rocky three, he kind of turns bad for a while. The third movie is when your like goody character kind of breaks bad for a bit. So all I'm saying is Paddington should give into his bare roots and just eat a child. Maybe he <laughs> discovers cocaine. They can be yeah. crossover. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. He That's meets what... Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> we need to write these down. Yeah, what are we doing pitching all our ideas to the public right? again? We need to quit I mean, with that. Maybe the kid's a jerk. Uh... You know, maybe it doesn't have to be like the sweet kid that you really like. Maybe the kid's like a jerk. Maybe the kid's racist. I don't know. Like, would you, would anybody be upset if Paddington ate a racist kid? (laughs) No. He can eat a proud boy. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. Write it down. Kind of fun. Write it. It's a little bit of all fun. Right. Have fun with I it. apologize. We've gone off the rails. It's all my fault. No, it's good. Uh, you know, keeping in in step with the Saw franchise, we need to go a little bit off the rails. Um, so that's where we're at in 2007. Um, also, Hostel 2 didn't do well the year before, which is a goddamn shame because that movie mm-hmm. freaking rules. Um, can't go past Hostel without saying that. Okay, so... Wanell was not interested in writing any more Saw films. He was moving on to other things. Twisted Pictures was looking for new writers and ideas for the fourth Saw film. So this is the first film not written by Wanell. And it is the first Saw film written by Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. And they go on to write the next three in the series. Um, We talked about these guys before when we did our episodes on The Collector and The Collection, because that was The Collector was Marcus Dunstan's directorial debut. And that sort of came out of the Saw franchise. Um, So um, when Marcus Dunstan interviewed for the job, he learned that there was a Saw Bible with rules they should have followed. 
but apparently he never received it. So he was like kind of winging it. Um, Dunstan and Melton came up with an idea for the three sequels on their own and their pitch was well received. And so they got the job and they went with it. So they were going off book, but it ended up being, you know, they liked it. Hmm. Um, They were discovered when an executive read their script for a movie called the midnight man. And um, they, you know, they, they're part of the reason the creative consistency throughout this series holds up, you know, you've got some creative consistency in the first three. And then even though Darren Lynn Bowsman doesn't direct the next two, they've got the same writer. So there's always a through line through the Saw franchise till you get to gosh dang spiral. We'll get to that eventually. Um, so Dunstan and Melton didn't have any trouble bringing Jigsaw back into the story, even though he was dead. They were like, he's been dying since the first film. This is not a big deal. We can bring him back. I think maybe it was Nicole last on the last episode. You said it's horror. No one has to stay dead. And uh, they were they were definitely in that vibe. And they were like, this can't be a Saw movie without Jigsaw. Um, so, Mike, I would like to activate your Donnie Wahlberg rant. Yeah. So most like we said with like Saw, one of the things Bousman talks about in an interview with it's uh the site hollywood gothique he ahead of saw two i'm oh, sorry instead of ahead of saw four coming out talked about like being kind of reluctant to come back feeling like the bloom was off the rose with this so, sort of subgenre, and he talked about how like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel had dropped off and the Grudge sequel had dropped off and how Hostel 2 had dropped off. And he felt like, well, Saw 2 and Saw 3 actually built on the success of the first one. Like we're not quite there yet. So maybe we can keep this thing going for one more time. He kind of had like a pretty good eye, a pretty good eye to say like, I can get one more out of these and then get off before things start to kind of collapse in on themselves a little bit. Um, and he talked about knowing the people that were involved in the movie and having a familiar cast and crew and having like not having to teach anybody, like you said, the saw Bible, not having to kind of go over the rules of the franchise or the aesthetic of the franchise with anyone. Cause again, like I know we kind of joke like saw city is gross and grimy and disgusting. Um, when you watch like the next movie, it does look a little bit different, like not markedly different, but enough that you're like, okay, someone else made this movie. So the quote I have here is it boiled down to two things. Unlike starting from scratch and having no idea where to go. I've been with this for two years. I know the people involved, the crew, the cast, the production designer, the costume designer. So it wasn't starting at square one. It's picking up where we left off. That's exactly where we came into it. And he talks about we, um, where do we leave off Saw 3? Let's begin. We never set where Saw 4 is being filmed. It's anywhere. But one thing we try to do is create a community. The diehard fans will pick it out. They see the same locations and use the same actors. So he talks about like one of the police detectives having half a line in Saw 3 and half a line in Saw 4. And he's just back, but it's the same person for that continuity. The nurses in the hospitals are the same, and the orderlies are the same actors. 
the SWAT team or the the unnamed police officers are all the same. Like they're not recast, like keeping that the same throughout. So I, and I thought that was pretty neat. And I'm going to contrast that with Donnie Wahlberg doing a promotion in the loosest sense of the term for Saw 4 with Rotten Tomatoes back in 2007. So this is a little blurb I got. And it may be the only time I ever agree with Donnie Wahlberg on anything. <laughs> Most actors are happy when they get it back, asked back to a role. Not Donnie Wahlberg. Thought left for dead at the end of Saw 2. He was granted more screen time in Saw 3. That seemed to be the end. But it looks like there's more Wahlberg in Saw 4. Quote, yeah, I got a scene in it. They kept me alive. I told them I wanted to die in part three and they took out my death. I just lie there and nothing happens. Spoiler alert. End quote. Spoiler alert. Even Jigsaw died in Saw 3, but he's back. The filmmakers are keeping a tight lip on the time frame that allows the actors to return. But Wahlberg was so annoyed that he spilled that Officer Matthews still exists in present tense. Quote, no, they kept me alive. I don't want to talk about it. End quote. I think somebody should tell Donnie Wahlberg, like, you don't you don't have to do this. (laughs) Right. Like, did he think he was actually in a saw trap where he had no choice? Yeah. Just. Well, that's such a contrast because I think Mandalore as Mm -hmm. part of the promo for four, um, you know, they're like, Oh, well, are you, are you going to be in the next installment? And he's like, who the fuck knows? Yeah. He's just like, we'll see. Maybe. Um, like he was having like uh, I mean I'm not surprised that Donnie failed. I just I that. just want to take a moment to acknowledge the audacity of this man. Yeah. Because nobody ever in ever has ever said what this movie needs is more Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> nobody ever has uttered that phrase. That's probably true. Although I was like, when he showed up originally, I was like, oh, Donnie Wahlberg, all right. (laughs) right? You know, just because like... Story-wise, it's very interesting. What are they doing with this? Yes, Mike. (laughs) I think so. Is it... You know, has everyone here seen Mallrats? Yes. With Ben Affleck's character... No. Okay. okay. Don't spoil it, God. This is not a big spoil. This is for, for <laughs> no, a thirty-something-year-old. I, I will Evan Smith probably movie never. You'll watch never it. watch. <laughs> yeah, you should. It's a fun movie. <laughs> ben Affleck's character when he's asking, like, "Who's your favorite new kid?" Mm. No one ever says Donnie Wahlberg. They might say Joey or Jordan. No one ever says Donnie. I'm sorry. No yeah, one ever yeah. has. So the audacity of him to be like, "God damn you for giving me a." paycheck and a payroll and probably like points or residuals off Mm -hmm. of like a extremely successful franchise that you know he seems to think that like he is the star of this like not tobin bell or shawnee smith and just to like go and do like a press junket and be so unenthused Mm -hmm. for it is like it's 
and I'm not the biggest Saw fan in the world. Like, I mean, I, I have enjoyed these movies. I love covering them. But like, this is the only time I'll ever agree with Captain Shitty Hamburger because <laughs> I didn't want his no talent ass on my screen either. Like, I was definitely like, come on, this is ridiculous. And again, I like in Saw 3, I do hope they made him do full method and just like <laughs> locked him up in a room for months on end. Yeah. Like that would be the only way it would be worth it for me. So it also I, feels like it's like this long horror tradition of actors taking these roles, thinking that nobody's going to see this movie. I don't really mm-hmm. want to do it. You know, say, just like it wasn't that like Carrie Elvis's thing in the first one. Yeah. And just kind of like, whatever, I'll do it. I'll show up. It doesn't matter. I need the paycheck. And then they blow up and it's a huge role, but yeah. they never really wanted to do it in the first place. And then that's yeah. what it feels like here. Like he took the job and was like, God damn it. I didn't know this was going to be a fucking franchise. I'm going to have to mm-hmm. be in for the next 10 years. Yeah. But it's like, sorry, sorry, dude. Sorry. It was a success. I don't know. It seems very, it's just kind of annoying yeah. to have that attitude about it. Sorry and I would for the say money. it was, it was yeah. a success despite him. Well, yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. so so did you stand up and cheer at the end mike when his head has exploded with ice blacks god i did i yeah. definitely went that's pretty cool and we're it's a good it. one it is a it's really definitive good and i'm sure Wahlberg appreciated it too because it's like there's no coming back from that all right i'm done <laughs> except yeah. you have like Oh, no. Uh, didn't you know you have a twin brother, Detective Derek Matthews, <laughs> at which point I just drive off a bridge. Just like, that's it. And that what if that's it. the reveal in Saw X? If he is. It's his in... origin story. We're going Ooh, back. Yes. That's it's what everybody po- wants to see. It's quite possible it will be in Saw X because it takes place before part two. And I may get up and yell, this is horseshit in the theater. <laughs> Now that's all I want, just for your reaction, Mike. Well, what if it's the sun? What if they do something with the sun? Oh, Daniel? Yeah. Warn me, little Daniel. I don't think they could, because like it takes place... I, unless I don't know if you're gonna de-age him or just have him do like hello fellow kids. <laughs> yeah, like a backwards hat older. is all you need. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there would be no way, <laughs> way that you could cast the same person, but it would be like if we're thinking about the characters that they want to somehow. We will see. Got less than two weeks. So yes. <laughs> yeah, I need to watch all the other movies in those two weeks. So Oh my goodness. Yes. And then tell me all your thoughts on them, please. Because I love <laughs> when people watch these for the first mm-hmm. time and I get to hear about it. Yeah. Um, um I just wanted to say though, uh, I was listening to the podcast This This Might Hurt a bit. I think that's what it's called today to recap this movie. So I wouldn't, you know, think there was a needle pit in it. Um and they said there was the Saw Bible and there was, this was before social media really, so there was a website for a message board for Saw fans and they would pick up things that the writers would then put reasonings for in the following movies. Mm. And they would pick up on things like the tile patterns are different in the 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 room in the first one from where it was in the second or third one. So that's not the same room, but then, and then they would put something in there being like, no, it's actually the same room. It's just, this is why it's different. 
So I thought we that was interesting. We had an interior decorator come in yeah. to spruce things up. We had someone come in and clean it a little bit, but not too clean because this is Saw City. Yeah. <laughs> that would drive me. I mean, like, that would drive me a cra- crazy as a writer and director. That would be one of those things where I'm like, please don't do this. Please just enjoy. It's just, just please enjoy these for what they are. I'm begging, begging you well, as fans to do well, that. I wish, I wish who wrote The Nun 2 would have watched The Conjuring or The Nun 1 before writing The Nun 2, <laughs> but that's for an entire different episode. I just wish they didn't made a different movie. <laughs> oh, sorry. Anyway. All right. So, Donnie Wahlberg, no talent, ass clown. But, you know, thinking about the creative consistency that the filmmakers tried to keep throughout these movies, I wanted to ask everybody, you know, we're four movies in now. And I'm curious, at this point, what would you say makes a Saw film a Saw film? At this point. At this point. At this point. (laughs) Not looking ahead, but at this point. I would say Tobin. I would say Jigsaw. I would say Tobin Bell traps the color palette and feeling disgusting (laughs) and morality issues of morality (laughs) yeah um considering i haven't seen anything past four i think definitely the traps i don't think there's this is a very much a generalization but i don't think people come to the saw movies for the story i think they come for the traps and the gore so most people at least Come for the traps, stay for the story. Yeah. That's what I always say. Yeah. I think that people appreciate that they are trying to do like a tight knit continuity, that they're yep. trying to like tell one story. It's not like the Friday the 13th movies where you're like, sure, this lake will lead out to the ocean. Absolutely. <laughs> a lake, an enclosed body of water, will definitely take you to the ocean. Um, and they're not like forgetting everything that's kind of happened before it. Like fans, I think do appreciate telling one story, but I think you're right in that you're coming for the traps. Like you're that opening, the opening sequence kind of tells it all. It's like two people you've never seen before have never heard of, and they are chained together in a fight to the death where one guy has his eyes sewn shut and the other guy has his mouth sewn shut and you're like, yep, that's why I'm here. Like, that's what I'm here for. Give me more of this, please. I think it, I mean, to me, I, yeah, I obviously it's the traps and the gore that's going to get people in the seats. But what I think is the foundation of the Saw films at this point is Jigsaw and the lessons that he's trying to teach. Um, because they are so woven into what everyone does. Everyone is kind of caught up in the web of it. So I I think that that is, at this point, what makes a Saw film a Saw film. Yeah. And why, you know, the questions that we were asking at the end of three is, well, he's dead How does he not be dead? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) The magic of flashbacks. 
There's so many flashbacks, you yeah. guys. I can't get over it. Like, it drives me bananas. <laughs> it's... Do you think... Because this would have been about three years after Lost mm-hmm. would start, you know, went on air. And it's kind of at its peak. Like, it's like that third, fourth season when everybody is watching it. Do you think that maybe gave... And this is purely conjecture. Like, the writers of Saw the idea like flashbacks are in it's okay to tell like a movie mostly in this way like audiences are kind of primed to go with it right now because usually flashbacks before were kind of seen as a cheat Mm -hmm. and now it's like nope this is the kind of way to tell a story it's a really good point i'm not sure um i mean I assumed it was born out of the need to keep Tobin Bell coming back and a way to figure out how to do that. But Mm. perhaps flashbacks seemed more accessible if people were, you know, used to them in their weekly network television. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the series uses flashbacks a little bit in an interesting way as well because they lead into the reveal at the end. Where we see how, oh, this is what was happening. This is all the players involved. So I, yeah, it's obviously a quick, easy way to keep Tobin Bell paid. But I think it's a cool way to actually tie together some pieces. Not that it always works and it gets super... Like, we talk about it being homogenous. I think the flashbacks don't help it any. Because there's really... You spend a few moments being like, well, where am I? Who? What year? What, what sequence? Because they tell the story in chunks that are kind of out of sequence at important points. You're just like, I don't, what? Why is this happening? Who mm-hmm. is this person? Why are they going there? He was dead. What? One time I got it in my head that I was going to write up like a definitive Saw timeline, you know? And then I went outside instead. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Thank Good you. choice. Allison, how about for yourself? Do you find the flashbacks kind of help clear things up or does it kind of like make you scratch your head a bit um i agree um when someone said that it makes you think really hard and be like wait what time are we in it's the flashback or is this current time um but i kind of appreciated them since I think there are a lot of tie-ins to the previous movies and I don't always remember them because they all kind of blend together for me. Um, So it's a little helpful, but yeah, there are a lot of flashbacks, but I found them that they served a purpose. I feel like it was was the mix of like, we get flashbacks for like Tobin Bell's character, like his life. Like we get flashbacks for his backstory. Then we get flashbacks to what's happening in like this present timeline. Yeah. You know, which is flashing back to the last one. It's like kind of the, the different levels of flashbacks, <laughs> like how far we're flashing back that I think it just feels just a little excessive yeah. for one film. And I get it. I get what they're, you know, what they're trying to do and develop. And I appreciate all of that. 
for me, it just felt like a little excessive. Yeah. The limit the does not thing- exist for how far back yeah. they can flash. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but one of the things that I think, Mike, you talked about was that one of the things that makes Saw kind of a special franchise is the way that it's buckling down on continuity and telling a long story. I mean, are are the flashbacks an absolutely necessary piece of that to do it over such a long span? I think you could do this movie without the flashbacks of Tobin Bell and it would work in terms of the end, you would know that Hoffman was a disciple of his. I don't know, if, and I don't want to spoil future installments. Um, I think that uh, you could do, like there's like the Godfather, the continuity cut that gets shown on television where you have someone decided to show it in chronological order, which, why? Um but you could do something like that with the, the Saw movies and just tell it in chronological order. I do think that it would suffer for it. Um, I I think that the flashbacks are, if you're a fan of the series, are more a feature than a bug. That it's part of the charm of the series. It makes it stand out a little bit. It's a little bit different. I don't. I think they're a bit clunky and clumsy at times. Um, but I'm going to give the series some grace and say like, you know what? I'm going to forgive it for that. Like I maybe even appreciate that a little bit. Like, Oh, look at you trying to do something weird like that. Um, where it becomes, a, and I think I feel stronger about that for like John's flashbacks. We'll talk about Hoffman and his flashbacks even more in future installments, but like they don't maybe work as well for me. It is incredible how none of these names bring any faces to my brain. <laughs> I'm at all. I'm yeah. like, who? A Hoffman was. He's the cop who's Jigsaw's apprentice. No, no, no. Who's yeah, a... he's the he's hanging from the ice thing from the. Nope, that's no? Matthews. That's Johnny Wahlberg. Okay. Hoffman is the one who is at the beginning and the end of the movie listening to the tape in the autopsy room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here Hoffman. to help. Thank you. I, yeah. yeah, no I'm, problem. Yeah. It's Hoffman. I get it. So Hoffman is the one sitting in the chair. Yeah, next okay. to the boy. All right, hanging. Yes. yes. Um, I convinced my friend Nicole to watch all the Saw movies with me one time, like not all at once, but you know, over some weeks, and there was one night we were going to watch four and five, and. I was like ready for her to have questions after four and I was ready for us to like take a break before and like talk through it a little bit and four ended and she was like nope I'm good throw the next one on I was like you don't have one question about anything that happened and she was like no I'm good so we started the next movie in five minutes and she was like wait can we pause and talk through it I was like thank god because I thought you understood this movie better than me and I was about to be very embarrassed but no I think it's good to have questions at the end of this movie you're about to end a friendship over it I was a little scared yeah I don't find them hard to follow like when people say like the continuity and the time like I don't necessarily find them difficult to follow um, I do think they do 
a lot more retconning than they should to make things fit. Like they're doing a lot of backwards engineering. It's like when I'm building furniture and I happen to leave a couple pieces out, I'm like, we don't really need that part right there. I'm going to like put something here. We'll make it work. We'll make that fit and then whistle past it. I think it's a masterclass in retconning though. Like, and we'll talk more as the series goes on, but I, they do it really well in terms of they keep their storyline tight. Like there mm-hmm. aren't, you know, errors in that in time or like who could be somewhere here. You might have to suspend your disbelief, but there's nothing that's an error. And like that is pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. I just can't believe Amanda. I don't want to spoil it, but in part six, when you discover that Amanda was actually a can of stovetop stuffing that John imagined <laughs> this whole time. Like, that's incredible. I'm looking like, forward that to that reveal. Too far. <laughs> Big reveal. All right. All right. So let's, let's talk about how this movie was received. Um, critical reception. Not great. Scott Schuler hurt, <laughs> I'm shocked. hurt my I know. <laughs> Scott Schuler hurt my feelings when he wrote for the Chicago Tribune. It's disconcerting to imagine anyone enjoying the vile filth splashing the screen. That literally, that hurts. That hurts, Scott. You don't even know me. I think you're neat. Oh, thanks, Mike. (laughs) I'm sure his taste is so highbrow. (laughs) Get over yourself, Scott. Yeah. (laughs) Frank Sheck. What if he was a listener and he really was like, hurt he'll be all right (laughs) frank sheck from the hollywood reporter said the famously inventive torture sequences here seem depleted of imagination and i just really beg to differ like say what you want about this movie it is not lacking imagination like this is some imagination land shit like the scalping chair are you kidding me um critics didn't love it but they are the the soft films have been critic proof to this point. So on ten million, it rakes in just shy of one hundred and forty million worldwide, Jeez. down a bit from three, but still a success and pulled in about thirty two million more in DVD sales in the U.S. Yeah. So critics were like, "No, I hold my nose at this," and fans were like, "Take my money." No, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that this is like peak horror is critic proof, mm-hmm. and it's. This is really three and four is really when people are like, how can you watch this? Referring to like the over the top gore and blood. This Mm -hmm. is what they're referring to. Like these are like peak Saw movies to me in terms of like, if that's what you're coming for, Mm -hmm. that's what you're getting here. And audiences like to this point, like still wanted it. Like it's October. It's Saw. So. Yep. Yep. It's 2007, baby. So we, should we talk some traps? Let's do some traps. Let's talk some traps since that's the the bread and butter. So what if wants... Saw 10 is all thirst traps? Like what if it's a different. <laughs> Ooh, that would be updated for the times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we could we could get that slash fiction out again. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't. I can't again. I can't pause the show for five minutes <laughs> to just dying, dying. Okay. It's too good. It's my fault. So who has a favorite trap that they want to talk about first in this movie? Well, okay. So the first one, I'm going to talk about it, but it's not my favorite. That's that's fine. I think that it's kind of a weak trap to like start off with. The mausoleum? Yeah, the mausoleum. I like the setting. 
Um, I think it's interesting, but I don't understand why the guy with his mouth stitches, like he's got a hatchet in front of him, like just cut the stitches with something that's in there so you can talk. He rips his mouth open (laughs) after the thing is over. So like, why didn't you just do that to begin with? It seems, but the visuals, the visuals of that, somebody having their eyes sewn shut were just really traumatic Mm -hmm. for me. So I did think it was interesting, though, because we didn't know anything about them. And it was mm-hmm. like they're just in this situation killing each other. And it's it did feel a little bit like, oh, like, why are they here? And they're just killing it. Like we we had no backstory or context. So it really was like just the violence that was presented in the situation with nothing known about them. And I do think that's kind of interesting just watching it because we're not set up to like feel good about this or bad about this it's just kind of confronting us with this situation and having to just let it unfold without having anything hinting at like whether these people deserve it or not and i do think that part of it is interesting so the guy with his eyes sewn shut his name is trevor and he's one of the only characters in a trap in the whole franchise where we don't know why he's in the trap. We know, we, yeah. we don't find out. Um, and, you know, presumably he's a client of Art Bell or shoot, <laughs> Art Blank. Art oh, Blank. <laughs> That's my favorite okay. character name if I ever need one. <laughs> well, Art Bell hosted Coast to Coast for yes. <laughs> a million years, and now it's George Nori. What if it was Art Bell and George Nori in the mausoleum trap? Anyway, we won't do that. Um, presumably, Trevor's a client of Art Blanks because a lot everybody else in the movie was, you know, all the other people in the traps in the movie were. But it's really it's unclear, so mm-hmm. it's interesting that the movie doesn't circle back around to Trevor. What do you think it says, or the filmmaker, or what do you think, like, Boxman is trying to say in that you don't learn anything about him and these two men within 30 seconds of awakening here are immediately trying to kill one another rather than work together? Mm-hmm. I think it's the series really tipping itself in, over onto the violent edge. You know, it's been walking this edge of emotion and violence for quite a while and sometimes wobbling one way or the other. And it's going, nope, we're doing the thing now. We're, you're coming for the traps. We're giving you the traps. I think it's a commentary on how quickly we can turn on each other. If we think our lives are in danger, mm-hmm. we just don't care. We're just going to do whatever we have to to survive. Yeah, you would hope that they would. Yeah, you'd hope in that situation you'd you'd work together and go, wait, pause. I can't see anything. Can you, you know, hur, 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 hur. oh, my eyes are sewn shut. Maybe your mouth is too. Like, again, it feels like a team building exercise from hell. oh man that's great that is oh my god that's a really good visual right there i am here for it (laughs) yeah if i woke up with my mouth sewn shut my first instance wouldn't my first instinct wouldn't be let me try to help the guy with his eyes with his eyes shown shut what's going on i would just be like what am i doing but again he ripped his mouth open really easily so like Mm mm-hmm yeah. Well, and I think that this is one of the first traps that we see 
not to spoil anything in future installments, but I think this is one of the first traps where we do see that element of teamwork. It's not just someone having to like do something bad to someone else to survive. It's there's a way to actually both make it out of this. Um, And you both have to be able to, to kind of play along. And Mm. I think that is kind of interesting. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was a tape left for art and i wonder too like was there a tape also left for trevor like if art hadn't survived was trevor going to be the one facilitating later or did the person who set the trap really just assume that art was going to make it and only left instructions for him don't know most of the traps in this movie take place as a part of rig's test There's, and we can talk about each of these, but there's the scalping seat, the bedroom trap, the spike trap, and then there's the ice block trap, which we touched on before. Um, So talking through each of these, um, we're actually going to get into some topics, some like kind of heavy topics in this episode as we talk through a couple of plot points. So I just want to acknowledge that because so far it's been really light and fun and funny talking about all the violence, but you know, it's going to get, we'll, we'll get into some things. So the scalping seat is the one with Brenda that's set up in Riggs' house, which I don't know how Riggs slept through the setup of that. Maybe he's a heavy sleeper like me. Um, I think he, he was given, out. he was like knocked unconscious or something, right? Chloroform. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Still though. I mean, like. That's a pretty lot of machinery to bring in. to bring in a lot. And they kept saying it was an apartment. So like. Did they have to go up any stairs? I have questions. Um, they hired but movers. the scalping seat. They hired, I'm sorry? They hired movers. Maybe. Or, yeah. Like a task rabbit situation? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, the person in... So, okay, before we get into this, can I offer a hypothesis? Absolutely. My hypothesis is that all of the people in Riggs' test were selected by Hoffman and not by John Kramer. Um, I don't know if that is true. What if anyone... You, what would you say the evidence is? Um, the type of people selected and the fact that Hoffman was going off the rails doing his own thing anyway. Mm-hmm. I think Hoffman wanted to be running the show. Um, and I don't think he was taking instruction from Jigsaw... I think he wanted to take over from him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he selects Brenda, who's a sex worker, which is a morally neutral job. It's not moral or immoral, but from a police officer's perspective, could be seen as, you know, worth a jigsaw punishment. No. There's also and- the implication that she's trafficking people to the rapist, mm. which is. Well, I. I would argue, too, that why I think your theory about Hoffman makes sense, that this is different, because this isn't about a morality, you know, jaunt 
for rigs. This is about getting rigs to come over to Jigsaw's side. So it's not really a morality thing. Um, so I, I could see that just like how there were small differences in Amanda's approaches in previous films. Um, I could, I could kind of see Hoffman being like, well, you know, we can't really like rig seems kind of on the up and up. There's really like not a lot that we can really hang him out to dry for. So why, why don't we try to like bring him on board? Um, all these, all these people have records, right? I would assume. And like, we see like the mug shot of, of the rapist guy and stuff. So in like some ways it's like, Oh, they're criminals, you know, especially mm-hmm. like you were, you mentioned like from a, from a cop's perspective. So maybe that would help, um, help Riggs make this transition. If he's looking at it from like, Oh, I, you know, we're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Kind of that, that black and white mentality when it comes to people in the system. So. Especially the, um, couple where the, woman is a victim of domestic abuse Mm -hmm. that seemed very much like it could be a police officer's perspective of not understanding how that works in the way that he treats her um and the way he punishes her though she doesn't have to die um she still is very much punished for being abused and that seemed like hoffman to me Mm -hmm. it's a good point thanks if anyone has any definitive, like if any listeners know definitively if these uh, victims were picked by John Kramer or Hoffman, like, please let me know. I haven't been able to find out, but I think it's Hoffman. I'll pose this. Do you think the filmmakers even know? We've yeah. talked about this when, when, with Scream, like who's under the mask when, and I think mm-hmm. that with mm-hmm. Williamson and Craven, I think they're like meticulous to the degree that they could definitively say and like no shade on Melton and Dunstan, but they write like, don't, I don't think they write good movies. I think they write fun movies. Like I really enjoy feast, but they do, they do feast. They do the saw movies. They do piranha triple D they do. Um, I'm missing something in there. They do the collector of the collection movies where they're like not, they're very much like just strap in for a good time and don't think too hard about it Mm -hmm. where I don't even know if they're concerned with, I agree with you. I think this is Hoffman's game. Like just like I argued last week was Amanda's. This is more Hoffman's game than John's game, but I don't necessarily think that anyone behind the scenes is too invested in it. And I could be wrong. Like if you're like, no, that's, I don't, but I think if you were to, okay. and that kind of harkens back to the, oh, uh, this room looks a little different. Well, let's explain why it looks different mm. and we'll re-engineer it like later on down the road. We'll fix it in post type of deal. <laughs> we'll see what the fans say on the message board and we'll mm-hmm. work our retconning yeah. around that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, sure, know- I'm sure a message mm-hmm. board would be able to tell you who chose these people. Sure. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and they would tell you that we're idiots for not knowing. This would be the Come same at part me. of it. Come I, at listen, us. I don't mean to be anything, but like, feel free to come at me with your sound knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
Um, I am hoping there's a saw category in fright or wrong trivia at tell your right horror this year. Cause you're can't you be set that team. up? I'll ask Brad Pull some is, strings. I can ask, Hey, with saw X coming out, will that be a category? Here's $20. All right. Sorry. Anyway. Anyway. The so scandal, the scandal. That <laughs> um, what about the traps in Riggs tests? Do we want to talk about any of those in more detail? There's the scalping chair with Brenda. There's mm-hmm. um, the eye trap with the rapist. Oh, the and eyes. Ugh, ugh, yeah. Ugh, creeps me out. Yeah. Made me made me viscerally be like, ooh, no. <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah. Didn't it not work, though? Because he pierced both of his eyes and then it still tore him apart. He did yeah. one eye. Oh, okay. I thought he did he, the other yeah. one, too. He couldn't bring himself to do the second. Mm. I, this was my favorite one. Um. Mainly because of how nonchalant Riggs was afterwards. He's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on. Um, I I don't know. I there I feel like there's a few throughout the franchise there's a smattering of like all of the traps are on a time clock. Like You've got like 60 seconds to do whatever um, or get blown apart. Um, What I liked about this one and what I think only I think is highlighted in a couple of others is like that last minute. Like I'm going to do it. I know I need to do this and not. Like just not getting able to to make that last little jab, and I don't know. It it was really that was really impactful for me because I really liked that. It it was real tension because I'm like just stab your other fucking eye. I find that there's nothing necessarily memorable about the individual traps, with maybe the exception of the scalping chair. Which again, to uh, Ari, Ari and Allison's point, it's a lot to get that whole thing in there and get that set up. And not only that, commit to the bit where you're like, we're also going to decorate your apartment with all of these photographs as well, like chef's kiss. I find something about Riggs's whole story it's there to fill time. Like we need, mm-hmm. we need to get 30 more minutes of movie. And I find it very video gamey in that way it's structured and that you have like your opening cut scene with Riggs coming on, on Dean or Meyer's body and being told like, don't go through this door. And then throughout the movie, he's just moved. You go to platform one to platform two to platform three, and you traverse through the game until you get to the final boss battle, which mm-hmm. is like, don't do anything. I I made a note for later on, like the lesson that Hoffman is trying to teach Riggs. And I think, Nicole, I think you can actually debunk this because you said like he's not really teaching him a lesson. He either wants to recruit him or kill him, but he can't stay around. He knows too much. But the lesson Hoffman wants to teach is like you don't go through unsecured doors. I expected like Jean Parmesan of Arrested Development to jump out and be that's like, that's why, why you don't go through unsecured doors, which would be amazing. 
it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And it just, it felt to me like Riggs is there to fill time to get this movie like over 90 minutes. And maybe I'm wrong and maybe that's cynical, but it didn't, it didn't seem like it had a lot to do with the rest of the, what it's really trying to set up with like the rest of the movie. Yeah, I agree. I feel, well, it's teaching him like, don't always rush into a situation or like break down the door. And um, also you can't save everyone. Yeah. So it, they're just presenting him with more and more people to save. And he's not learning the lesson that you can't save everyone. Mm-hmm. But it's good that he tries, you know what I mean? And that's why I think this isn't a John Kramer lesson. Like, I just don't think John Kramer would say, you know, he might say you have to choose who to save, but he wouldn't punish someone for trying to save mm-hmm. everybody at this point in the franchise. I don't think. Sure. No, I don't disagree with you, Mike. Um, It does feel like it's a way to get some traps in. It's a way to, you know, literally keep the story moving from like place to place. So it's not just cops standing in the station talking um, and to fill some time. So I don't think you're wrong on that. Yeah. And they're cool looking like it's. Yeah. There's some cool stuff that is in there. I but I don't feel like. There's no connection from scene to scene. Like they're yeah. all, you have like the the sex worker who may be also a trafficker. You have the hotel clerk who's definitely a serial, serial rapist. And then you have the abusive. And I took that was like a high school, not a high school, a school principal and his wife. Um, I thought that's where that was being set. And to your point, like she's being punished for being a victim. Mm-hmm. that's why he's punishing her. But there wasn't necessarily a connection between them. And it felt very tenuous yeah. in terms of like how they're able to kind of figure things out. It's very like plot logic. Like it has to happen because it's a movie as opposed to something like logical where I would say in the other movies, like, Oh, okay. I can actually see how this connects. Like there is at least some logic being applied here. And I think that, let's face it, like Lee Wan all and James Wan are better storytellers. Yeah. Especially with complicated stuff. Yeah. Yeah. With the husband and wife, wasn't part of why she was being um, tortured because she didn't report her husband. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just think it's a really super simplified view that a cop might have as a outside looking in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can also say, like, as someone who works as a mandated reporter, knowing that I have to report sometimes and also knowing this is going to make it worse. Yeah. Like, is that it's a really awful feeling, like knowing if I is. I don't think she had a pleasant evening going home, even though, like, she defended him and stood up for him. I think if anything, Hoffman and Riggs showing up made it much more unpleasant going forward for Mm -hmm. his wife and uh, the daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this isn't, I mean, kind of what we're talking about. I think this is also where I think some of the blurriness between could this be Hoffman or Jigsaw comes in because Jigsaw does like to do the, well, you did nothing. And so now you will suffer for it. Mm-hmm. That's so. True. So I, 
I still think, I, I still love the theory that it's Hoffman. I think that's super solid. But I think this is one of those where someone could make the case of, well, Jigsaw really likes to be like, mm, you did nothing. Yep, that's true. Yeah. I have a quick question about the scalping seat. Her, yes. her scalp starts to come off. Are you able to survive that? I don't know if anyone don't know. knows I don't for know. sure. <laughs> you probably, I feel like you could. Like, eventually you'd probably bleed out. Yeah. Like, I don't know if anybody's had a head injury, but, like, it bleeds a lot. So, like, at, some, like at well, some point, you probably would bleed out. But. James had, a, like, half of his scalp and skull and stuff removed. Yeah. And he seemed chill. Yeah. 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 For a, for for a, a little bit. bit. So just getting some juice from Amanda. Yeah, yeah I think it I think it does depend on like the bleeding and probably like how like far and yeah everything. Yeah. I feel like it's a lot slower than some of these other situations though. Yeah. Yeah. How? Well, I was gonna say like that might lead into you know the movie discussion. Um about Cecil and Jill and the miscarriage are things we haven't talked about yet. But before we change the subject, what were you going to say, Mike? I just wanted to say that like, it's incredibly bold to Mm -hmm. kick off the movie with the autopsy, just telling the audience like definitively your iconic killer, the main guy through the first three movies, he's dead. He's not coming back. He's human. That's a pretty bold way to start the movie, isn't it? Yes. It's also like really interesting because it's confronting you with kind of a more normalized gore, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like obviously this happens every day all over the place for, <laughs> you know, good reasons, but just how kind of brutal that process is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's so, so interesting because yes, it's so disgusting, but it's like but this is acceptable. I'm obviously the person's dead. So that's the big factor of it, mm-hmm. but it's still just like super gross and gory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then contrasting that with an immediate, like a trap right after, I don't know what is like, if there's anything to be said there or they're trying to say anything, but I just, I think it's interesting and kind of clever. Yeah. Well, the MPAA agrees with you because the autopsy scene was accepted as is, no cuts. They didn't ask for anything to be changed because it was like realistic and um, like medical. The MPA was like, feel free to have all of that that you want. Well, and I think it's, I think it's a nice kind of callback to that same kind of violence in the third where she's doing the surgery on the brain. It's that medical violence and gore that I think really gets to people because yeah, it's something that happens. Like that will happen to you. Yeah. Sometime probably. And if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, but I I think again, it's just like, well, no, he's dead. Like they're literally (laughs) like ripping apart the body. Like he's dead. But how can he not be dead now? So to that point, when you watched this movie, if you didn't know that this was the direction 
they were going in like before you hit play on it was there a part of you wondering well how are they going to bring jigsaw back like what's going to be the out they use okay yep and when i saw that they weren't going to do any sort of cheat i was like that's awesome but what are they going to do Mm -hmm. and you know He's laying there dead on the table as we are hearing his voice as they play the tape they found in his stomach. So it's very jarring. And I like the word you used, Mike, bold. This movie is bold. I know that like in a lot of ways, these movies are like a lot more of the same. Like you get the aesthetic, you get the traps, you get the gore. But I do tip my cap to them taking some bold... They don't always work. Mm -hmm. They do take some bold choices like with their storytelling. Like you can't say that they ever get complacent throughout like the nine movies we've seen so far. And I think that's because they know what people are coming for. That Mm -hmm. gives them the chance to kind of go for it. And as much as we were joking how you can kind of like blend two three four you can kind of blend them together after a little while and which one did i see this in i would say that's the same of most horror franchises like you can easily mistake kills in halloween four from halloween six and jason kills in the different movies like at a certain point they do kind of all blend in together no Mm -hmm. matter what franchise it is and how much you love it yes I think I personally, I wasn't that shocked when the movie started and he was on the table. I kind of, maybe I had heard something about like Jigsaw dying, but in the last movie, he was like pretty much dead anyway. So Mm -hmm. I felt like that made, this made sense for him to actually be dead now. Um, And I already had known that he had Amanda as one disciple. So I was like, well, there are obviously going to be others as well. Mm Um, and somehow when they started going through the body parts, I was like, they're going to find a tape. And then they found a tape. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. See, I just get taken by surprise over and over again, like fool me once, etc. But you caught on. So I was like, how did he swallow it? Because that. Yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Practice. How many tapes had he swallowed in the past just to practice? Yeah, He was like, maybe this is it. In Saw 10, we're going to find out that prior to being a mass killer or even a civil engineer, he was like a champion competitive food eater. Maybe. That is, yeah, that is, that's going to be the thing. You can just neck a hot dog. Yeah. So the tape. Like, what if you don't die? What if you don't die and you're just stuck with that tape in your stomach? Yeah. Yeah. Then you're not. Then the, the tape is not in your stomach. Then you're like, well, I guess gotta re-record. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, gonna but, be hard to pass too. Yeah, like that's not like good, <laughs> good luck with that. Nowadays, um, it would just be like one of those little like MP3, like a like a flash drive. Yeah, mm-hmm. easier yeah. to swallow. Yeah, right. would upload it to the cloud. He was <laughs> he was born at the wrong time. My favorite thing about this movie, other than the extremely bold ending, is uh, learning about Jill, who's a character we haven't talked about, I don't think at all yet, because 
the first time we see her and we don't know who she is is in Saw 3 when he's having his life flash before his eyes as he's dying. Here, she gets pulled in, and Jill is Jigsaw's ex-wife, and she gets pulled in for questioning at the police station, and we suddenly learn a lot about like their past together, and she runs a health clinic, mm. and people in the clinic are people from Saw 2. Like, they... There's a lot that we all of a sudden get about about their backstory. Um, and an important character named Cecil gets introduced. And we learn about the point where Jigsaw, like we learn a little bit more about the timeline of he got his diagnosis, like his wife, God, <laughs> Jill got pregnant. She had a miscarriage. He got his cancer diagnosis. He tried to kill himself. Then he started trapping people, like, is kind of how it goes. I don't know how you guys felt about this, but I was like, okay, this is, this is a lot. And I don't know if it was all necessary. It's like, like, giving him more justification for this, like, super dark turn. And that kind of annoyed me a little bit because it's like, it, it's almost more evil if it was just like his own selfish like oh i got cancer and now i'm reevaluating my life and everybody's so ungrateful and that kind of makes him a little bit more evil in my opinion and then like by adding all this other thing it's like that's building up i'm not necessarily sure that i i needed that it's interesting to know that he had a wife and you know a life before like learn a little bit about that i guess but i don't know i felt like that was kind of like adding a hat on a hat on it's like okay all right we get it. I, life. <laughs> I thought the moment <laughs> between him and Cecil in the clinic was interesting because I think you get flashes of like he's not right. Like he's he's kind of blood lusty. He being John? Yeah. Okay. Um yeah. Um because he I think in a bit of the flashback, like he's very, like when he's talking to the woman who comes up to the car, he's just very like, he's terse, but he's just like, go home, you know, send her away. But with Cecil, like he's, he's like, don't, don't fuck around. Uh And I think that it's, it, just kind of makes you think that to what you're saying like we're getting all of this backstory that kind of creates these reasons of why John took the path that he did but I wonder if he would have gone down this path in some way someday anyway because he just seems he's looking for reasons Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think that's a really interesting point um I feel like all the backstory is just trying to make us empathize with him. Yeah. And like, I don't need to do that. It's like, I don't need to empathize with the blind man and don't breathe. Um, yes, exactly. So, like, yeah. And I, I just a technical question. Another medical thing. Would the door slamming into her stomach have made her have a miscarriage for sure? Because I feel like it wasn't that hard yeah. and she was pretty far along. I don't know. That's what I thought, too. I was like, if she's seven, I mean, I'm sure stranger things have happened, but like, 
you know, seven months along, maybe it would force her like early delivery yeah. kind of thing. But like, would it really kill the baby? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And also the de-aged Billy doll. That was fun. That was actually one of the scariest things yeah. in this whole <laughs> really? I love Billy that. with hair and also the fact like, are you fucking kidding me? If my husband was like, here, I made this for a future child and that's what he gave me. I would have a lot more questions and be like, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, there's no way I'm giving that to a child. Exactly. <laughs> it's terrifying. Like, the signs are there. <laughs> the signs is, are there. He's I already would, not okay. <laughs> I'd give it to the theoretically racist child in Paddington 3. Of course I you I think would. that kid would appreciate it. This is um, the crossover event of the year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like what you said about, like, that kind of confrontation with Cecil that he has because i think it does show a little bit of john's presence and charisma and you can see to a degree why persons would be drawn to him i had some questions because he dies at age 52 and i think tobin bell's a little bit older than that he's about a decade older than his character is Mm -hmm. and there's about a 20 year age gap between him and i'm forgetting the performer who plays jill Tuck at the moment but in real life there's about a 20 year gap between them and it shows on screen like it, there's mm-hmm. definitely that and I was wondering if like she might have been if she's supposed to be closer in age to John like not a 20 year gap but a 10 year gap is it a higher risk pregnancy because uh, I know as you get older mm-hmm. like it can be harder to conceive yeah. or carry but I think you're right like I don't know if that would necessarily yeah. I thought the baby would have been born premature I do anything... think it's. I do think she's a little bit older mm-hmm. because yeah. they talk about how planned this child was, mm-hmm. and I would assume that it was when you know they are at certain points yeah. in their life and their careers where they can spend time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't like the the point of like saying oh well he planned out like it wasn't just we were trying for a baby he planned when yeah. people do that like mm-hmm. yeah. when we were trying for a child my wife was like well this is when i go out on school break like this would be the ideal time for us and she had it in her planner like this is what we should aim for like if it didn't happen whatever but like this is what we so that's not like a character flaw in that regard like that's not a big deal um to me the thing with jill it threw off jigsaw's motives because i am assuming that this occurred with cecil before the terminal cancer diagnosis i don't think there's anything in the text that says Hmm. i got i i lost my child then I got the terminal cancer diagnosis right away afterwards. And then I started to make these traps. So it kind of like throws out the whole, I got this diagnosis and that's why I'm doing it. Cause he, Cecil is pure revenge. Yes. Like there's not the, like, I'm going to rehabilitate you. Like, no, this was like you had said, Nicole, it's already there. And it, I hate to say with the saw Bible that they didn't use, it kind of like throws that out the window. Wait, okay, so wait, so Cecil, he's in the chair, he's in that knife chair, he gets out of the chair, he successfully escapes mm-hmm. the trap, mm-hmm. right? I'm bl- Does he, he, he runs at John, John yeah. sidesteps, Olay. Cecil falls into some barbed wire. That's right, that's right, okay. 
And then John gives the barbed wire a look like, hey. I could yeah. use this again. Yeah. 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 Conveniently placed small box of barbed die? Wire. I yes. don't remember what ha- Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking the idea is like he gets ensnared in that barbed wire and it just kind of like trying to unensnare himself, like rips him to shreds is what I'm assuming happens there. But they don't actually show anything. They right? don't. It's just, no. Okay. Confirm just it tonight. All right. Jigsaw gives like a, hey, look like, you know, like a little, you know, if you know, you know, and he's going to end up using that later on. At least he's like environmentally conscious and like reduces, reuses and recycles. That's so. a really good point. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. We can put that in the in the the, pro, side, the, the column. Pros column. <laughs> He's also a feminist icon because he was willing to turn his work over to a woman. He's mm-hmm. environmentally conscious. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, so Ari, how involved do you feel Jill is or was at this point? Because the impression mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time reading her in this movie. Because there's definitely like the evidence that Strom brings her in on is pretty flimsy. Like you happen to be married to a killer and one of this, this guy is also your lawyer. So therefore, Mm -hmm. ergo, like you're guilty. Um, But there is something a bit dodgy about her. And I think it's a good performance, probably like her best performance in any of the movies, um, because you just can't quite get a read. How involved do each of you think that she actually is in all of this? It's hard to tell at this point Mm -hmm. because like you said, she is dodgy and she doesn't necessarily um, answer like she's being like Strom sucks and he's coming at her really hard, but she's also not making things easier on herself by going, here's what you need to know. She's being really standoffish to him. So it's kind of like, well, are you being standoffish because this is a crappy situation that you're being dragged into or is it because you have something to hide? I, I kind of got the vibe from her that she isn't like an active participant, but also probably knows that he's up to some shady stuff and just doesn't want to deal with it. It doesn't do anything about it. Like doesn't inquire further kind of just that yeah. like ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Like I'm just not going to go there. I can't deal with this and yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think she's involved. Um, I think she's just asking, um, acting, annoyed because she's like it's my ex-husband i you know don't really want to talk about him because you know wait did they divorce or did he is it just because he died that he's her ex she says he left me long before i left him i think she just means mentally though yes yes but her leaving him was the divorce okay Mm -hmm. so yeah she left him i don't like I don't really think she's involved in any of it. I think she's just like, leave me out of this because I, you know, I divorced him and he's like, I'm not, I don't care. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that she, they play the character kind of both ways in that she's kind of portrayed, you know, in working in the clinic as being this really kind, um, caring, trusting individual um, and has, you know, really has that vibe. And then when you see her in the uh, interrogation, it's a completely different 
situation. You can tell that she's hiding or you feel like she's hiding like a thousand different things. So I like that you get that juxtaposition of it's possible that John was doing all of this and she just had no idea um, because she was trusting and cared about him, but they were separated. Um, But also like, I don't know. Ari, on your string board, on the It's Always Sunny string board, when you look at the timeline, yes, how long is the timeline? Like, how long is it presumed that, like, Jigsaw is an active serial killer? Two years. Okay. Two years. So that's an awful long time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of death in a long time, in a short amount of time. And... Where it's about six months between him being like discovered by Matthews and I can't remember Dina Myers, Detective Carrie, Detective Carrie. It's about six months between that and Matthews finally getting his head smashed in with ice, right? Yeah. Because in that six month time period, you see like a number of magazines that have been written about like articles. There's a book that's out on him, like in a really short amount of time. I wonder like what her life has been like, how many inquiries she's had to field in like six months where she's like you said, Allison over Mm -hmm. it. Like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And that's why you see a difference in her demeanor. Cause this is just like another in a long line of like my ex-husband committed all these super gruesome, violent murders. He's, you know, on his deathbed or he's not here to answer for it. Therefore I'm here to clean up the mess. And how many times have the detectives come to her specifically in those mm-hmm. two years? Well, yeah. And she so. says something like, I've re- like, what else do you want from me? I've given you everything. I have the hundreds of hours of tapes. Yeah. Like, yeah. What else can I possibly tell you? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just gotta be so annoying. And just, she's just seems yeah. exhausted and broken and just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm annoyed yeah. when somebody asks me something for like a second time. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing I noticed rewatching this movie, it really parallels the first movie. Like it draws a lot in terms of story beats from it in that you have gone back to, you have two detectives that are trying to uncover like who is behind all of this right now just like you have with like Glover and Ken Leung in the first movie, like what's going on here. You have a killer hiding in plain sight in that you have Hoffman who is, seems to be one of the victims seems to be one of the participants in the game is actually the one manipulating the strings all along. And you have like this kind of characters that are navigating from like game to game, trying to figure it out, like racing against time once again. And I thought that was like really interesting. Like by the end of this movie, when you look back and you even have like a, a Zep like red herring where you have like the lawyer author, you know, author blank. Mm-hmm. You, it's like a Zep like, Oh, is this the guy orchestrating everything? Um, and you come to find out like, Nope, he's just another participant right here. Who's having his strings pulled. It really felt parallel to that first saw movie even the ending is so similar because you've got 
Officer Rigg on the ground listening to a tape and Hoffman stand up behind him, which is very similar. It's even shot low the way it is in the first movie with Adam on the floor and Jigsaw standing up behind him. I love that shot. And I think it's really another very bold thing that this movie does is at the beginning of the movie, it tells us it's Hoffman. Because Hello Zepp is playing when Hoffman's listening to that tape in the beginning. We should know by now, Hello Zepp is the reveal music. Mm -hmm. But we don't because that's just not where our head's at at that moment. And so when we go back to that at the end, it's like, oh my God, they told us right away. That's That's a great great pickup. Yeah, and like I legitimately, until that twist did not know it was <laughs> so it me either me. <laughs> me either and i loved it and it made me feel similar to how the first movie made me feel and i really enjoyed that it also expands the world right because yes. before it was just kind of like amanda and now it's like oh shit there's like who more. else could there like, be yeah, yeah. Like that you know that cult of jigsaw is kind of starting to grow and you know which we will see see more but it's just kind of expanding the world and just showing kind of that yes jigsaw's dead but you know that doesn't necessarily mean this is over it's the fourth movie in the franchise and it answers a lot of questions but it also asks a lot of new questions you know we've talked about you can watch the first movie and have a complete story you can watch the first two and have a complete story you can watch the first three and have a complete story choose your own adventure but you can't stop after this movie because Mm -hmm. there's too much story yet Mm -hmm. what do you think is the bigger reveal that this parallels the timeline of the third movie or that hoffman is the new jigsaw that this parallels the third movie i did not see that coming I didn't either. And that was something like when it started happening, like when it's, I was like, wait, hold on. Okay. Yeah. That like, that's the part that got a little confusing for me. Cause I had to like, yeah, I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. genuinely caught me off guard. And so I still feel like it's like, I need to wait, I need to rewind that and like kind of reread that passage again, <laughs> because I don't. Okay. Hold on. So this piece goes here. All right. It's, it's, it's asking more of you, I think, than some of the other films, which isn't a bad thing. I just, I can't let it wash over me quite like the first three where it's just kind of like, you can kind of just tune out a little bit. You can relax your mind a little bit. At that point, it starts asking you to kind of actively engage in a different way, Um, which isn't bad, but it, it, it genuinely kind of sometimes takes me a minute to realize mm-hmm. where everything's fitting because it, it i mean it's all happening really quick too like there's lots of quick cuts and we've got multiple timelines happening at the same time and um so that that was surprising for me definitely more than the hoffman thing there aren't just quick cuts this is we talked about this a little bit last like bousman's editing style where like one character dissolves into another like yeah Ausman is fully unhinged like he is <laughs> he knows like this is his last go at this and he's like i'm pulling out all the editing tricks and someone pointed this out like that's been with us since the first movie like someone mm-hmm. posted like their favorite cut from saw and it was danny glover in the interrogation room the car pulling up and he's in the car mm-hmm. with uh, with Carrie, so that's actually been with us all along. But Bousman in this movie is like throw a character through a window and have him end up in the interrogation room. Have it look like John is like in behind the 
on you know, the two-way mirror in the interrogation room. Um, that kind of thing is going on throughout. And it's like, no one's telling him no at this point. They're like, mm-hmm. whatever, these make a lot of money. Let, let, him, let him do his thing. I do think they look cool. Like, they I do. like yeah. that. Like, I think it's executed well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just when the time, it just... There's a lot of it. It makes it feel a little muddy towards the yeah. end, which is also part of you know mm-hmm. my responsibility as a viewer i'm not yeah. quite <laughs> ready for that but um yeah. i i do think like some of those yeah. cuts i was like oh dang all right mm-hmm. okay that was cool because it starts with rig is looking at pictures of his wife tracy and turning them over and turning them over and then we see someone pick up a picture of the family from the previous movie and my yeah. your brain kind of skips and goes wait a minute did i see that right did i did my brain do a mm-hmm. trick on me and then you start to see more of that. And then you see Jeff and it's like, holy shit, how could this be? And then you realize Strom was there the whole time and that Strom mm-hmm. is trapped there now. Yeah, it's a good reveal. And we were both games are taking place. It's not like Saw 2 where they're in two different locations. Like, right. This is one. So to Allison's point, like, why would you travel to Saw? Think of how big this location is. Think of like there's underground running, tunnels. Yeah, you're just mm-hmm. running two massive games within. This would be like having the Super Bowl and the World Series going on at the same time <laughs> in the same building. Same city. Yeah. Like that is crazy to me. Pour one out for poor sweet slubby Jeff who comes <laughs> back for like 30 <laughs> seconds and you think it's going to be like, whoa, there's going to be some conference. Like within five seconds, he's gunned down by Strom. Like, yeah. Yeah. where's my family? And then just Strom was like, who's this dude? And just. Right. Who's Jeff? So, yeah. Jeff from, <laughs> yeah. From the third movie. Okay. He's the man being tested Dad. in the third movie. Yes. Okay. Um, so, and again, it's like a sweaty, overweight unshaven guy i feel attacked by the jeff erasure and the jeff hatred i feel what is this saying i i will say i think that was a it was a smart thing to do for the fourth one because part of the reason why it catches me so off guard is because the first three have kind of trained me that this is how these movies are going this is Mm -hmm. the pacing this is what happens Mm -hmm. this is what i should expect and by mixing it up it's like oh it's it's doing something different here (laughs) and that's not a bad thing, especially propelling it forward. It's kind of rewriting what is possible and what can be expected Mm -hmm. in this, you know, these next subsequent movies. So I do think that was very smart and allows it to not kind of die on the vine, which I think Mm -hmm. it could have easily done at this point. Yeah. Well, I also think that it, especially with the, um, with the, future sequels and how the flashbacks and and everything still continue and timeline juggling um i think it's training the way that this works trains the viewer now oh i have to really pay attention to these certain small details Uh because before you're kind of looking at big picture things and how pieces of this puzzle come together um But now it's like, no, the it's detail. Look at the little bits and pieces because it's now going to be the tie at the end or it's going to be something that <laughs> now informs 
things going further. So I do kind of like that. It's, I think it's a good reset in that way. And I like the way that Mike, I think you explained it at the beginning of being a transitional piece mm-hmm. of not necessarily fitting with the previous three in a tight, compact way and not necessarily fitting in with the future films in that tight uh, kind of package way. But it is a really, I think, succinct and effective bridge. Yeah. Yeah, and to your point of picking up details, there's like little lines they drop in like, oh, another doctor's been kidnapped from the hospital. And you're assuming like, it's someone after like Dr. Lin has been kidnapped and you realize, no, Lin is the other doctor. They're referring to Dr. Gordon from the first movie. And that's like a, it's, it's not a cheat. Like it's not, I don't, I don't feel cheated with the reveal of this movie that it's parallel. And I think that's what kind of redeems it, but why it kind of works in a lot of ways. I feel like it, it does work. I don't have a lot to say about, strum and his partner i i I put them as like Mulder and scully light in my notes like because there's just there's not a lot of there there and they do become more important in the next movie but um before we wrap up let's talk briefly about hoffman who again like the next three movies are really his movies how do we feel about him being kind of like your protagonist going forward he's like really your focal point i have a hard time wrapping my head around his motivations here like what do we think that he's actually after here what's going on great question (laughs) i don't know it's uh (laughs) it's not clear in this movie because we spend most of the movie you know all but the last minute not knowing it's him so we don't really have time to think about what's motivating him and where he's coming from. So we end this movie not knowing much about Hoffman at all, just knowing that we should expect him to be Jigsaw for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll have fun breaking that down in future episodes. And I'm really excited to hear Devon's take because I know Devon likes Loves Hoffman him. a lot. I, I don't like Hoffman. I love to hate him. Um, I just, I think he's, he, he's, he's not better. He's not any better than Jigsaw. He's, he's just better at hiding. Like Jigsaw was better at hiding it. You know, I think mm-hmm. they're essentially the same. Yeah. It Costas Mandalore is a, he's a funky dude. Cause he's had a pretty interesting life where he's like been a professional soccer player in Europe. And I found this blew my mind. Like, 1991 people magazine one of the 50 most beautiful people in the world like and you're like what happened like and he's not saying that he's like he's more attractive than me i'll say that so to be fair but he just looks so ordinary no he doesn't i disagree okay i think he's a handsome dude i don't think he's super talented (laughs) (laughs) okay you know Um, what i mean like i think he's got the looks i think he's got a certain vibe and swagger but i don't necessarily because i've seen him in a few things mm -hmm. i just don't think he's much 
more than that. Okay. You know, which is obviously he's had a great career. He's still yeah. doing stuff to this day. Like the guy makes money doing what he does. So like, yeah. congrats, dude, you made it. Maybe I should say <laughs> Hoffman, the character lacks a lot of that charisma that Jigsaw has. Like yes. you watch like Tobin Bell in part two. So I think that's like the best of the movies. Like that's his best one. Uh, and even in part three, when he literally just lies on a gurney for 90% of his screen time, he's compelling where you cannot take your eyes off him. Like he's always giving a terrific performance. And I think Hoffman here is just, there's just kind of like a blandness to him. And and I yeah. think that's going to continue in the following three movies, the more is, you learn about him. Is that kind of the point though? At the at this point because he needs to blend in okay he doesn't want to stand out he doesn't want to give the cards away so he i just think he's so like he's just here for a good time Mm -hmm. and that's we just have to go with it there's no rhyme or reason to what he's up to and I kind of like that this film doesn't really try to try to feed, start no. to even feed us that. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a, a cool way because we get all of this. We've been getting all of this motive and background for Jigsaw. And then they're like, also oh, this, this asshole over here. <laughs> we don't like, he just is in it for for the font mm-hmm. um and yeah i i think he's all right looking i think he just looks real smug um yeah and well, i kind of like that especially next to strom who like listen i love gilmore girls i love you know patterson as luke danes but he is doing his best Nick Cage impression, I feel like, in a yes. lot of these scenes. Like, he feels like he's trying to channel that, like, crazy Cage energy. Uh-huh. And so it's really interesting contrasting that <laughs> with Hoffman. No. Because Strom is kind of pulling all of your attention one way. And you're just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? That it's allowing Hoffman to kind of operate, you know, like in the background and kind of fly under your radar until all of a sudden he's not. And you're like, Oh shit, maybe I should have been paying more attention to that guy. Mm-hmm. It's also 2007. The economy is about to tank. Maybe he was offered <laughs> a really good yep. salary and benefits. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I'll say about Costas Mandalor is that you can sing his name to the tune of hellos up. And now you're all as cursed as I am with that knowledge. Nope. Costas uh, man. Costas Mandalore, Costas Mandalore, Mandalore. Good luck not hearing that from now on. Oh, no. Somebody cursed me and I had to curse you. I didn't know that that's what the the Saw theme was called. And I kept getting it confused with the um, Requiem for a Dream theme. It does sound similar. Yeah. 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 Yeah, which I really like. I can't get that out of my head now. Yeah, you're welcome. I just wonder if like... And I get what you're saying, Nicole, about like, well, he's a blank slate. You don't want to know too much about him. That if there was a bit more commanding about him or a bit more charismatic about him, if that reveal would be even bigger at the end, like him, you're like, oh, like, like, what? And I guess maybe I kind of knew that he was the guy going forward and that does spoil it. But um, 
it I think we all agreed it was like a bigger deal that this was a parallel timeline than like here's your new jigsaw. It doesn't have that same bite that like Kramer like getting up at the end of the first movie does. Yeah. Although that's a hard yeah. thing it does to ask. For me. It. Okay. Like maybe not exactly, but pretty close. I okay. was like because I had I just didn't think it was him at all. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what was happening. Okay. Well, but- and I think the the what we know of the people that Jigsaw that John has really tried to take under his wing at this point, like with Amanda, that's where our focus has been. Jazz a story. Mm-hmm. Like we we see their dynamic, we um and none of that is established with Hoffman. So I yeah, I mean I think it's it's surprising, but I I do think it's also one of those ways that they're like, all right, so how can we do something different? And, you know, probably struggling to figure out what is going to be the most practical way to still keep John Kramer and Jigsaw and kind of that foundational stuff intact as well. Mm -hmm. So I think just having a blank slate to start off a next stretch is kind of a great way to go. I don't want to spoil too much for Allison because I know you've got a few more of these to go. <laughs> but do you think that they felt compelled to keep Tobin Bell involved in flashbacks going forward because they, to a certain degree, knew like, okay, this guy just doesn't cut it when compared to what we had. Therefore, like, we kind of need this kind of, I hate to use the word crutch for it, but we kind of need this like support in order to maybe keep fans interested going forward or am i overthinking it uh check the message boards maybe they said that in the message boards i don't know we'll see (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question i don't really know either because like the way they end up using tobin bell like they couldn't tell the stories they want to tell without or like the stories they end up telling they couldn't do without him there sure but they could have told they could have taken stuff in a different direction if they weren't going to bring mm-hmm. him back. So yeah, I yeah. don't know. I've never wondered no. about that. No. All right. I think we've covered it. Am I missing anything here? Um, the series is wild. You guys, I just it really is. It's just, that's all. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the other ones. So yeah, yeah. but I, six is a highlight. Okay. Wait, so six I have to watch really five, six, oh. seven, Jigsaw. Is there an eight? Yep. Okay. Jigsaw. Jigsaw is eight. Okay. And then, and then Spiral. Okay, I've seen Spiral. Yeah. But Am right. I the only one here that likes Spiral? I like Spiral. It feels the same as the others. They're all cops trying to figure shit out. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also Bowsman. So mm. well, I need to watch it, it again. I, I've only seen yeah. it once like in the theaters, and yeah. I want to revisit it. Uh, but I had fun with it, and I liked mm-hmm. that it was giving us something different. Like, I did appreciate that. So. Have... The ending was also big. I remember the ending yeah. being really big, like the other oh, yeah. like the other ones. So, Two very brief things. Um, Ari, you wanted to talk about this video. 
which I've never heard of before. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to mention it. And also, we need to throw in a note for Devon. I don't know. That's the other thing. I saw that too, but go ahead. Good. Um, There's a music video called, I don't know if they call it IV or if they call it 4, but by a band called X Japan. It was a music video made to go along with this movie. It's pretty interesting. It's on the Blu-ray that I have. You can find it on YouTube. So I just wanted to mention it. Does it it mirrors the events of this movie, or um, it shows clips from the movie, okay, intercut with the band playing on a roof. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> yeah, not love bad. It. I love a tie-in. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone ever here see Faith No More's video for Last Cup of Sorrow? Nope. It's a four-minute retelling of Vertigo done really well. Oh. It's amazing. I would look that up with Mike Patton it's, and the. What are you going to say, Nicole? No, it's great. It's really mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, it's like if you've never seen Vertigo, you're like, should I check this out? Like, watch that video, watch and, that. You'll know if it's your, <laughs> and you'll know if it's your jam, and you want to do more. Um, yeah, Devon hopped into the chat, and he is asked, like, "Hey, I'm not here today. Can someone thirst and objectify rigs for me?" So <laughs> you know, Devon, yeah, absolutely. Like, yes, rigs we can. Is an extremely attractive man. Yes. With um I think he's the most attractive man in this cast, right? In oh this yeah. Movie? Oh my God. yeah. That's a no low question. bar. That's a wicked low bar. <laughs> I I well, I mean I wouldn't say it's a low bar, but I do think that um Lyric his name's Lyric Bent and mm-hmm. he is he is quite beautiful and he yes. deserved better. Yeah. In this yes. film, I didn't like him having to be put in these situations. No. I will say, it's like I, I didn't want this for him. <laughs> he's beautiful, and he can act. Yeah. I honestly like feel like it's a decent performance. Oh, absolutely! It's not. It's not at all, Jeff. So we love that um, mm-hmm. for us, but no, I think he's actually an interesting character, and I. I like that they switched it up with him yeah. so that it's more about he did something with the character, but yeah. He... he originally was supposed to play a different character in Saw 2. And I'm looking it up right now. Um, he originally was going to play one of the participants in the game. Mm. And... I think he was going to play the role that was played by, give me one moment here, edit, edit, edit later on. Probably not, though, because we've gone long. Um, He was going to play Frankie G's. He was playing the role of Frankie G. And I think Bousman made the decision saying, like, I don't want to have, like, an African-American male playing a drug dealer. Like, that is way too much of a stereotype. Um, Let's not do that. And you know, like uh, Lyric Bent had said, like, I'm kind of disappointed because he got a smaller role. But then when he found out, like, they'd bring him back for part four as the lead, he was like, well, it actually worked out yeah. really well for me. And he's really good here. Like, the little, he's I great. know we could cut the part out, but he does give, like, a pretty solid performance. And when I say it's a low bar, I mean, like, he would be the best looking person in pretty much any movie <laughs> that you put him yeah. in. He's a very handsome Yes. Very handsome man. And I think I've thirsted after and objectified him enough for one thing. Devon, you can come back on and we can have a, a lyric bent moment too. Mm-hmm. Like we'll definitely, definitely do that. Allison, is there anyone in the cast you would like to objectify? I don't want to leave you out. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. Yeah. I, I didn't really find anyone in the cast. I, I mean, I also, 
Um, oh. Riggs was very beautiful, but the other guys, I still, I don't know who they are individually. Yeah. They're all just indescript white guys. Yeah. You can say, Nicole, just say it. Just, you don't have to, we don't have to rely on the chat. No, I, I kind of, I kind of have a thing for Jill. I think she's, she's, like, yeah. she's hot. Jill gets sexier and sexier as the mm-hmm. movies go too. It's yeah. Really oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Like she definitely as they go on. Absolutely. So yeah, she's very lovely as well. For the most, the other guys in this between Jeff and Strom and Hoffman. And I, I get it. Like, I think maybe they're schlubbing cost us Mandalore down for this because he's pretty schlubby. It is a bunch of uggers in terms of the white male dudes in this movie. Like, you know, even Tobin Bell in this movie looks like tired and that's kind of he's supposed to. He's old. Yeah. He's old man. Yeah, but that means so there's a lot of silver foxes. There are a lot of silver foxes out there. So I don't even think All when right. his hair was not white he would have been attractive. He's just not I just don't Tobin Bell? Yeah. I just must think everyone's attractive. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody has some sort of beauty to them. Everyone is beautiful. Or maybe I'm just way too drawn to these movies. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All right. That is our talk on Saw 3. And my God. Oh, Saw like, 4. God damn it. That's our talk on Saw 4. Don't cut that out. Leave that I, will, I will leave that in. Um, I am all for making me look dumb on every, it's not difficult, but, um, I thought we'd do this at a tight 90 in my head, but (laughs) nope. Allison, let's talk about the Who's There podcast and where our listeners can find you and some of the, the concept and some of the interviews you've done. Oh yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Um, so you can find my podcast at who's there podcast.com or on Instagram and Twitter at who's there PC. Um, and I interview horror fans and creatives to find out why they love horror movies, because as a horror fan myself, um, I get asked all the time why I like this violent and, um, brutal subject. And I, you know, we're often thought that, you know, there must be something wrong with us because we like to take in this stuff um but that's not the case and what's the best answer you've gotten when you've asked that to your guests um it's a good way to striking process our emotions and some people say they like it because it gives them the thrill of being on a roller coaster but in like a safer way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and yeah, people, it's a way to experience fear and figure out how you would feel in a certain situation without having to actually be in that situation. And mm-hmm. if you're an anxious person, like it gives you like an outlet for that anxiety in a safe context. Excellent. Yeah. And you can go to the who's there.com to get more of the episodes. Who's there podcast.com. Excellent. Yeah. So not children getting eviscerated. That's not the answer. People, I'm just the weirdo that says that yeah no okay no but also yeah fair enough yeah fair <laughs> enough i actually really like kids i just don't know why i keep I saying this and so oh, <laughs> fair nicole what is going on with the oh and i will say before we do that you're i've been listening to the show and i think the the interview you have with Eduardo sanchez is a much listen it's a really fun 
and you get him to talk about some things he doesn't necessarily talk about on other shows like spoiler like he's not a fan of these <laughs> movies or this kind of film and i found that really funny in doing kind of like pod prep here yeah so. he's uh the he didn't choose the horror life it chose him yeah. so <laughs> nicole what's going on with bodies of horror yeah so <laughs> we just had uh, an, an episode with mary beth mcandrews talking about taking of deborah logan um and uh, more episodes coming down the way. Um, trying to really dig into more um, disability representation from an intersectional um, standpoint. Um, but it's kind of difficult to find lots of films to dig into. Mm -hmm. um so i'm always looking for suggestions okay um, but yeah we're continuing to move and shake excellent <laughs> ari what do you have it's slasher month at ghouls right it is slasher month at ghouls slash timber i decided right now nobody has told me to say that um, yeah, but check out ghoulsmagazine.com. Lots of free articles, reviews, and videos. Or if you want to become a member for $4.99 a month, lots more of those things. And you can follow them on all the socials at Ghouls Magazine. And you can follow me on all the socials at Ari underscore Hellraiser. Excellent. Rachel, is the person who mirrors our dear friend Jen as the busiest person working in horror? Uh, oh i am not but that's saying something about how insane the people working in horror are that <laughs> you have a lot going on right now so what is coming up i mean you we have cult of chucky coming up on halloweenies for you yes what else is going on with the losers club and uh girls with the uh, girls uh on girls on the boys so what is also going on with girls on the boys and also what's halloweenies have coming up for october yeah so halloweenies yeah we just recorded um an episode on cult of chucky so that'll be dropping and then after that we get to move on to the tv series which i'm super excited about yeah. um so we're gonna be doing that coming up in october starting the series and then on losers club uh they just covered holly and um so doing that and then they're moving on into covering 1922 big driver you know kind of entering a mm -hmm. lot of those novella territories so that'll be kind of fun and a little bit of a different break and i'll be doing an episode where we talk all about holly gibney all of, and why stephen king is obsessed with this character and she, why she appeared in so many books mm -hmm. so that'll be fun and then I look on the, forward to that. That sounds great. Yeah, and that'll be Jen Adams, my dear friend Jen Adams, will be leading that episode, so that, yeah. that'll be great. Knowing that Stephen King is a listener of the show and has mm. sung its praises and has appeared on it, maybe you could do an intervention and be like Stephen, like give it, give it a rest <laughs> for a little bit. Like, come on, like give it a little step away from Holly for a little bit. I think he will. He'll step away now. I think, but think? I highly doubt that this is the last we see of her let's say oh, that okay um but it might be a while before she gets a you know another big standalone novel okay um yeah and then the girls on the boys were entering season two of the boys and we just had um our friend Mackenzie gerber on for an episode 
Uh, so that was super fun. And yeah, if you want a little something different, want if you're a fan of the boys, you can come hang out with us over on Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad Network. Same one as Nicole's Excellent. Bodies of Horror. So. And where can folks find you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter still, I guess, at Vinyl Girl, G-R-R-R-L, and Instagram threads everything else at the final girl so you can find me there listeners if you enjoyed what you've heard today please take a moment rate review and subscribe to us everywhere you get your podcast goes a super long way to having new listeners find us lets us know if we're on the right track as well it's you know it's great to know that you're enjoying the show so five star review and a few kind words goes a super long way if you've really enjoyed us and if you're two and a half hours into this right now <laughs> and you're not enjoying us, like yeah, you may be a masochist, but I'm guessing that you like what we do. Consider becoming a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash pod in the pendulum. You have a uh, level starting as low as two bucks that will get you bonus content. And it helps support us in what we do here. It helps pay for the hosting. It pays for like Zencaster, like what we record on used to be free. It is no longer that. Um, so it does help us like put everything together and keep the lights on. So patreon.com slash pod in the pendulum. It's been really neat, like going on some of the socials and seeing some people say like rewatching the saw movies or watching them for the first time in preparation for the pot of the pendulum. Like that is always really cool to me. And I'm not the biggest social media user in the world, just for a lot of reasons. Like it definitely benefits my mental health to not be on there as much, but you know, you can follow us at on Twitter at pod and pen. And I respond to everyone there you can find me on Blueski at Mike Snoonian. You can find me on Instagram at Mike underscore Snoonian. And you can find me at Letterboxd at Mike Chump Change, uh, all one word there. And I haven't stopped using Letterboxd. It's just been a September is always like my slowest month of watching movies. Mm -hmm. And I've literally watched um, coming up on 100 hours of Buffy in the past few weeks, damn it. Uh, because... I was able to guest on men who like men who like movies to talk once more with feeling. So definitely check out that guest appearance. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I think I've got an article coming out on dread central about like the uh, assholes of horror, like the person <laughs> in the friend group. You're like, how are they friends with this person? <laughs> um, so definitely be on the lookout for that. And I think I've blurbed enough. I think that covers everything, right? We should be good. We're going to put Saw 4 behind us. Next week, we hit the midpoint. Whoop, whoop. Uh, and we're less than two weeks away as we record this from Saw 10 melting our eyeballs. Yes. Uh, question. I can't get tickets for it yet. It's not. not the yet. show times aren't anywhere. That's yeah. weird to me two weeks out. Me too. It's freaking me yeah. out. Yeah. Oh. What but if there's no Saw 10? Like Dude, it's all been a lie. I, it's been a prank. Why would you say that to me? Some terrible. <laughs> Thought we were friends. Some just a bad human being. <laughs> um, I think in between one of the Saw apps, we'll have some Telluride horror coverage as well. I think yeah, we ought to. Ari and I are going to sit down when we're out there together. We'll go to Bake to Telluride, get a coffee, one of their really good cookies. 
really good cookies and maybe chat a little of like what we're seeing at the fest. So, Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until then, thanks for listening, everybody. Game over. Donnie Wahlberg, No Talent Ass Clown.